Well, hello and welcome to episode number 322 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and on this week's show, we learn all about the UK government's new quarantine regulations, Ryanair make an important temporary alteration to their flight booking policy, and France unveil a substantial aid package for the aviation industry. In the military, there's damage to an Osprey as it's hit by a civilian aircraft, and Russian MiG-35 fighters get their very own in-flight SIRI, Siri. Uh, what could possibly go wrong there? Well, anything if it's like Amazon thinking or thingy. Anyway, Alexa. Uh, Armando talks to Bob Mills about the Reno Air Races, and Chris Marsh brings us his final passenger experience with La Compagnie. Um, so, joining me uh, in the studio, not pulling any hair out of his head at all this week due to current problems with the 4G network, it's Matt Smith. Hello everyone. Hello. I'm not stressed in any way. I don't know what you're on about. It's it's a it's a null, uh, just another day in the office here. <laughs> Which is right, actually, Matt, because that is technically your office as well. Now for the moment, it? yes, the absolutely. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about that for now. So we'll, no, no, we'll, we'll no, but. That, uh, <laughs> but you're having uh, you're having fun in the studio this evening. That's uh, safe to say. Matt, yes, with, indeed. Uh, We're having a couple of issues uh, getting the feed to YouTube for some reason. We just had a very nasty uh, weather front front essentially uh, hit us here in Bungie uh, that was just in time for the show about to start. And uh, yes, uh, our, our 4G connection, which is normally, to be fair, super reliable, really uh, good, uh, has yeah, been a little is. bit uh, difficult this afternoon. So we're recording locally just in case. Uh, so wish us luck, everyone who's watching on YouTube. <laughs> So Nev, uh, unfortunately, can't make it tonight, but he has got a very good excuse for not joining us on the show because uh, he's celebrating an anniversary. So uh, congratulations, Nev. Hope you're enjoying your various bottles of wine and gin and all the other things you're doing and well, drinking. It's Mrs. Nev's birthday, I think, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Is it Mrs. Nev's birthday? No, well, it's no, wedding, it's anniversary. wedding anniversary. My apologies. Wedding sorry. anniversary, yeah. So, uh, oh, I, thought was a year, I thought it was a year since his visit to the uh, probation office. That's, right. okay. that's what I understood. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. So, <laughs> we haven't got Nev. We haven't got Nev, but uh, as always, our producer back? doesn't know off the top oh, of his head. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Joining us this week uh, from his studio over in Charlotte it is, of course, the fantastic Armando. Hey guys, happy to be here in person this week. Woo-hoo. Sorry about last week. It uh, Last week was just one of those where we were delayed, I was driving, it just wasn't going to work out. So, um, But fortunately, last week I did get a chance to meet up with uh, Steph here. She came over to the house, we had some beers, Aww. and just talked about life, love, and liberty uh, for a couple hours. And I also got to go down to Jeff's recording studio apg headquarters and see the magic that goes on there for their last episode and uh and then of course we scarfed down some pizza afterwards Uh, you actually went in you actually went into the fabled apg the actual apg studio the actual apg studios and i gotta admit it was a lot cleaner than i thought it was going to be as far as cable management, it was very modern. You know what? Nev would actually be very, very proud of would Captain he? Jeff. Oh, that's that's impressive. So he would actually. I was going to say the cable management things. Hey, just I'm not going to put the camera around now. Just what I've got down here. But anyway, that's another story. So we have uh, got uh, a guest host with us this week, and uh, we've stolen him from the Plane Safety Podcast. So it is. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our very esteemed co-host and guest host for this evening. It is the fantastic, the amazing, it is 
Captain Al. Thank you very much for a wonderful introduction. Uh, the YouTube viewers will have had a sneak preview of me in the uh, intro, so giving plenty of opportunity for them to turn off with me being on again. But no, it's great to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, chatting about some great stories and uh, let's see what's going on in the world. How's lockdown treating you, Al? I take it every single DIY task in the house has been done and the grass is... Yeah, kind cut. of, although it's sometimes difficult to obtain the necessary materials or tools. But uh, yeah, we're gradually getting there. I've uh, got two bathrooms left to regrout and then that will be my work done. Excellent. Matt, uh, what have we got first uh, coming up on the show? We've got, um, actually, we've got a listener Zoom call, according to uh, the show. No, we, so. we mentioned it, I think, wasn't it, last week? We were talking about organising up a, organising a bit of a listener Zoom call. So for anybody, uh, I think, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, yeah, so Saturday the 20th um, uh, of, uh, so that's a, a week tomorrow, isn't it? So it's Saturday that the is, 20th. Yeah. And uh, if, uh, I don't know what your diary is like, Armando, uh, for Saturday the 20th. Um, look at right now, but yeah. yeah, this is a great idea. This is one of those quarantine things, quarantine idea fairies that came up and we mm. said, you know what? We would love to just have a, a virtual beer with everybody, yeah. especially because the chat room is so wonderful yeah. uh, every week. Um, yeah, it looks like the 20th. I'm good. So whatever time. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. So what Excellent. should we do? Should we say like seven o'clock, something like that? How does that sound with everyone? I love how we're doing production, like production, like live, live on air. That's that that always ends really well for everyone. Uh, sure, so we'll, let's call it. Yeah, let's call let's it seven p.m. British Saturday time. The 20, yeah, Saturday the twentieth. That'd be six p.m. UTC. Uh, basically, the same time that we start the show normally. We'll do it on the Saturday. Um, and uh, anybody who would like to join in on our little Zoom call, uh, what you need to do is send an email to the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, and any of the listeners who'd like to participate in a nice little Zoom call with everyone. Uh, we'll get as many of our hosts and uh, uh, guests who've joined us um, as we can to join in on the chat. And, um, yeah, we just sort of get together and grab a beer and just talk about aeroplanes. I think that'd be a great idea. What do you reckon? I'll see if I can persuade Grant to uh, join us. Oh, yes, that would be good. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see everybody's costumes and virtual backgrounds. Costumes. Wow. Okay. There's, there's a thought. Yes. Uh, yes. So, as I say, uh, email the show podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And it's Saturday, the 20th of June, that's a week tomorrow if uh, uh, you're listening to the live show. Uh, and uh, yes, yeah, 7 p.m. Uh, BST, which is British summertime, obviously 6 p.m. UTC. And if anybody's up for joining in, uh, what we'll do is uh, we'll send you a special Zoom link uh, for you to join the call, and uh, we can, uh, yeah, so we can uh, we can uh, chat over a beer. I think that'll be nice. We've got a couple of our, we've got a couple of games uh, and ideas that we'll, that we'd like to sort of band around and have a bit of fun. So uh, get in touch. So big welcome to everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. Uh, all the usual family members in the chat room. Good to see you all uh, there. Uh, in the virtual world, uh, loads of names always, as many, too many to mention, but it, uh, it is the 12th of June today. It's my mum's birthday, it's Mama Smith's birthday today. And that's correct, it is Mama Smith's birthday, so make sure you send plenty of um, birthday uh, yeah, she likes wine. Who doesn't? <laughs> yes, w would you believe that we're nearly halfway through the year? I would, Isn't frankly. Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, not a day too soon. I, a, the sooner we can say goodbye to 2020, I think the better, to be brutally honest. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll second one. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> so no we uh, we we better we better get going. We've we got lots to get through, tons to get through on the show this week, and obviously um, we'll have a quick chat with Al later on and see uh, see what things are going on in the world of Captain Al. But we are going to start the show then, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone's ready. Yeah, just fingers crossed here. <laughs> Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story on the simpleflying.com website. And uh, the headline, the UK's new quarantine rules, everything you need to know. So for those of you who have been stuck under a rock, as Matt would say, for the last four or five months, the UK's quarantine rules come into force uh, this week and are set to impact thousands of travellers, not to mention airlines and businesses, both in the UK and abroad. But how will the quarantine be implemented and what do you need to know? So the UK uh, begun its mandatory 14-day quarantine for people arriving uh, in the UK, whether they are UK residents or foreign nationals. Under the legislation, anyone arriving from anywhere other than Ireland, uh, the Channel Islands, or the Isle of Man will have their uh, have to enter a 14-day isolation after they arrive. Quarantine applies not just to those arriving by air, but also by train or ferry. On arrival, they must provide details of where they will be staying during the quarantine. If they don't have a planned address to stay, the government has said it will arrange accommodation, but has not uh, elaborated on what this might be. Hopefully it's uh, the Ritz Hotel or somewhere in London. Uh, once at the address, people are not allowed to leave apart from in a few very limited situations. They should ask someone else to do their food shopping for them and should not use public transport during the quarantine period. Those breaking the rules could be fined up to £1,000 or £1,269 ish uh, exceptions to the rule include lorry drivers uh, freight workers seasonal agricultural workers and medics arriving to fight the covid 19. Uh, uk quarantine so with a uh, such a quick implementation and significant impact on all travelers there are clearly lots of questions being asked about how the new legislation will work so in a nutshell uh, it says here, can I travel to the UK via Ireland to avoid quarantine? So, no. Uh, the Common Travel Area, or CTA, which includes Ireland and the Channel Islands and the Isle of Man, has a quarantine-free corridor with the UK. However, the government has closed down what it was initially referred to as the Dublin Dodge, saying that you can only avoid quarantine by having uh, arriving from any of these locations if you've been in the CTA for at least 14 days. So will people who live uh, with me or with us have to quarantine as well? So if you arrive back into the UK and plan to quarantine in a shared home, your fellow residents do not need to enter quarantine. However, the advice is that you should minimise the time spent in shared areas like kitchens, lounges, and you should use separate towels and thoroughly clean communal areas after use. So can I get paid if I have to quarantine and can't work from home? Very important one, this one right now. So if you have to isolate following a trip abroad and cannot do your job from home you run the risk of not getting paid you would not qualify for sick pay so you would have to take the time either out of your annual leave 
or as unpaid leave. Oh, fantastic. So does the quarantine period begin as soon as I arrive? It says so strangely, no. Uh, although you are supposed to stay isolated from arrival, the clock for your 14 days doesn't begin until the next day at midnight, to be precise. So can you travel from the airport to a place of quarantine? Yes. The uh, independence travel guru, Simon Calder, uh, shared this morning that if, uh, in fact, uh, travel as far as you like from the airport, but you should use a private car. Well, that won't cost much. Uh, you should go directly, if not via a beauty spot such as Barnard Castle, which is quite <laughs> amusing. As for our, uh, whatever his name was, Dominic was Cummings, mentioned. Yes, that's it, Dominic thing. Cummings. But I'll have to stay overnight on the way if necessary. So last one, will it work? There are plenty of worries that the UK's quarantine rules are too little too late. Many think that time has passed to restrict UK arrivals and that the measures will only punish travel firms and airlines very true, without having significant impact on the all-important R number. Concerns uh, have also been raised about the enforcement of quarantine. The police are allowed to use reasonable force to get people to comply. But as reports in The Telegraph this week said, much will be reliant on the voluntary cooperation of uh, arrivals. Uh, Kit Malthouse, Minister of State of Crime, Policing and the Fire Service in the UK, said this morning that it would take an enormous compliance from the population generally in order for the quarantine to be effective. So out of all that, I think they should just scrap that two-week quarantine thing, at least scrap it in September anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's just for your own personal gain. Uh, for a, yes. Just, just a, a very quick complaint from Micah. Can you turn your microphone so that the blue light is facing down and not reflecting on your camera? Uh, Carlos has got a nice new microphone, as many of you have probably seen. Uh, but mm. uh, yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's disturbing Micah, so you need to correct it. Oh, uh, yeah. there we go. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, worth mentioning, actually, this was sent to us by um, Nevin. I'm going to try and bring it up, actually. Um, there's a fantastic site that Nev found. He put in our group chat uh, actually during the uh, uh, during the week here, and it's travelbands.org. So it's uh, it, it it doesn't have a www on it, but I, um, yeah. So travelbands, yeah, you know, t r a v e l b a n s dot org o r g, um, and uh, it's. A, I'm just going to bring it up actually here. It's a it's a great uh, little site if you are planning on travelling. It's probably worth you having a little little look through here. I'll just put my computer up here um, for the moment. I mean, I'm looking at the UK, uh, but it's a great site. It's telling you all about uh, very various airline updates for example so saying about British Airways here uh, if you scroll down here you can see look that there's plans to reopen um, London City Airport by the end of June uh, that detail came and it even tells you the source of where it came from so if you are planning to travel um, I think I mean this is a great as always a great piece of advice um, from uh, Nev uh, about sort of uh, being able to well at least uh, be prepared shall we say uh, for any flight that you're going to make so yeah so that's Travel bands, T R A V E L B A N S dot org, uh, a great little site there. And, uh, but it's got it's as you can see from the the banner on the side here uh, as well. Uh, it's, so it, you've got Europe, you've got uh, Asia. All of the countries are all listed there. So uh, a really useful resource if you're planning to travel very soon. Can oh, I raise a quick uh, question? Oh, yes. Oh, welcome. So on the UK category on that website. Does it then split things up into the constituent countries of the United Kingdom? Ooh. Because uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales have different rules to England. They do indeed. Uh, the short answer is, is I don't know. Uh, 
thanks for that, Al. Uh, always grateful. But uh, yeah, as as I say, in fact, actually, uh, uh, John's put it in our, our notes. Who says it's also worth noting that there are different self-isolation rules and penalties depending on whether you are travelling to England, Scotland, Wales, or Northern Ireland. I shall have a good I shall have a good thumb round, and we'll have a look and see if we can uh, find out more about it. But yes, that is a good point because it is only listing uh, the UK uh, and not um, not the individual countries, as you say, because some of the rules are different. Uh, no is the answer. <laughs> Apparently, John is telling me in my ear. Right. Okay. Sorry about that. Yes, we've got. Yes. So, uh, <clears throat> no is the short answer to that. There you are. I hope you have your answer, Al. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those great ploys to take your uh, partner that you're interested in and just fail to mention the fact that there's a 14-day quarantine and just book some tickets to the UK. Next thing you know, you're now you're stuck at the Ritz for 14 days. That sounds terrible. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. you've got the only downside there is you've got to pay. I think. Yes. <laughs> no, it's at the. I thought it's at the government's expense. I thought that was what it was. No, it's paid I'm for. Sure that oh, I think not. No, I think. I think you're. I think that's what you're my friend. <laughs> oh, Premier, and it is then. because there's been a lot of um, chatter about the UK government's provision of repatriation flights from various parts of the world for small numbers of British citizens. And I think the bit that has been kind of missed out is that the government isn't just providing these flights free of charge, they're costing the people who are utilising them quite a considerable amount of money, as you might expect. Yeah. So all the UK government is, is doing is, is providing a logistical uh, opportunity. They're certainly not funding it. Uh, Carlos, you were going to ask me a question about this quarantine. We may have already covered it or not, but go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Al, this, obviously the, the, this whole thing has affected airlines. You know, obviously we know really the impact has been absolutely, well, it's devastating. But don't you think, Al, that this, this whole two-week thing, even though things are now starting to switch back on, airlines are starting to put more flights on, that people are just not going to go on holiday with because they're going to have to go, you know, to have one week off, they'll essentially have to book three weeks off work. Yes. It's a very difficult thing, and I'll try not to be political in the commentary for this. I feel it's rather disappointing that we haven't gone down the same route that other countries have, and that is offering people a on-the-spot test on arrival. And if you are deemed to be negative for the test, then you carry on and you, you don't need to quarantine. We have created a two-tier system because there will be people who will arrive in the UK who will be compliant with the law and they will self-quarantine, whether they were aware of it or not. And there will obviously be a huge number of people who will circumvent it and despite the fact that the government that says, oh, we'll be checking up on people. Yet, yeah, I'm sure that will involve very much a phoning you up and saying, are you at home or are you at the address that you've said that you're at? <laughs> uh, okay, very good. Excellent. All right. Keep up that work and we'll, uh, we'll call you again in a few days. So it's almost an impossible thing to police. It's supposed to be uh, self-legislating. A lot of people will have discussed, and I have too, whether the timing now isn't a little bit bizarre. Should this not have been done at the beginning or many weeks ago? That's for the scientists and the politicians. 
My personal opinion is that this is just what aviation didn't need at this particular moment in time. The airlines were obviously not communicated to particularly well because lots of airlines were teeing up to start their services for those who had already uh, suspended them for June. And I note that, uh, for example, I don't have the exact dates, but jet2.com have had to delay their start once again because of the quarantine. Because as you quite rightly say, if you're going to go on a week's holiday to one of the costas, you're going to have to take three weeks off work. And who can afford to do that right now? Oh, no. Nobody is the short yeah. answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's... What do you think of all this, Armando? Obviously, because things are slightly different your end of the the world of the world yeah you, you know i um i don't know i guess as somebody who's still traveling through airports uh we're our i can only speak for our family our family we're taking it seriously maddie's birthday party is tomorrow and we're very we're bringing very few people and everybody's going to be wearing masks if they're inside otherwise we're going to be outside so one of the things that i've been avoiding is just commuting through airports because I personally don't want to take a chance. Um, so I don't, again, this is just personal opinion, but I just don't quite think that we're completely out of the woods yet. And uh, I support any continued um, safety measures, whether quarantines. I agree with Al that, you know, hey, we, we were starting to kind of peek our head a little bit and see see the other side of the uh, the hedges, but um, but uh, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's it's worth the risk for individuals. But surely the companies are going to continue taking hits, aren't they? I well, think the biggest problem that I see is the lack of communication to the airlines to say this is coming down the line. This is what we're going to do in a few weeks' time. You need to think again about when you're going to resume operations because the, the airlines are desperate to get things going again. Politically, we need to get the economy going, not just in aviation and tourism, etc. In general, yeah. And, you know, businesses need to know when they can restart. And this is the same for restaurants, pubs, etc. And if the government aren't saying, well, no, you can't restart because of this reason, then that's fine, and obviously airlines will accept that, but they're operating in the dark. It's almost as if they've got one arm tied behind their back. They're trying to, to get everything working. You know, people need to work. Pilots need to work. You know, cabin crew need to work. Cleaners, caterers, etc. We're all almost on hold with an indefinite period of time with no real cogent time frame. No, I mean we, I mean, we, we, we probably should move on in a moment. Uh, I, but what was interesting from what you were saying, Al, I didn't realise that some countries had actually got a plan where you were basically tested at the airport when you arrived. Um, and of course, there's a big difference there because you know I don't think anybody would have too many objections, uh, perhaps allowing a few extra days in order for you to be tested and then get the result to decide whether you have tested positive or not, and then. Yeah. Uh, if you have tested uh, positive, then obviously you need to go into isolation and all that kind of thing. But, you know, if you've been tested and you're found to have been negative, then you may as well go back to work, mightn't you? But that, that's, you know, you're looking at a two or three day period as opposed to the mandatory 
14 days. I mean, it, surely that's a well, the sensible test, The test idea. is only 48, 48 hours. Well, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you, you've got to allow three days, haven't you? So you, you would take mm. sort of you, you arriving at the well, airport. You yeah, know. just to, sorry to interrupt. The, the testing that they were doing, for example, at Vienna in Austria was a while you wait. It was a sort of uh, yeah. half an hour and you got the results. Oh, and, I didn't know they could test that quickly. Uh, yes. So oh. that... That is Come on, doing better than the NHS. <laughs> well, the other aspect to it is that, and it's worthy of notice, that there was a fee for this. Right. So you you have the option of pay, get the test, wait for the results, which I understand was around about half an hour, and if you're negative, off you go. Um, or if you don't want to take the test, then you you do the the, the quarantine. So. I would have liked to have had that option available to travellers arriving travelers, in the yeah. UK. If yeah. I remember rightly, the figures that spring to mind were something in the order of 50 euros for the test. Right. But, I mean, again, that's something that as a passenger you, you, you might be sort of thinking, well, I can budget for that 50, you know, because it means if I do come back negative, I'm, I can at least within a couple of days go, well, as you say, if it's 48 hours, you know, or, or, or even like, you know, half an hour test or whatever. Uh, I mean, even if it's an inconclusive test, therefore you have to go for a, perhaps a more detailed test or something like that. But, you know, but those, those that are coming out all clear, they can, they can go back to their lives immediately. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this, and John, you know, John Jester mentioned in the chat room that quarantines and some of the cautions here in the U.S. are state-based. I, that it's a great question. I have no idea how they're enforcing it because once the passengers, I have no idea as as a pilot when people are getting on my airplane if they're coming from New York City or if they're coming from Lexington, Kentucky. I just, you know, I I, I don't get that information, and then when I say goodbye to them at the at the gate and uh yeah th there's no there's nobody there asking hey where did you just come from so i i don't know i don't <laughs> M micah can chime in maybe in the chat room at least uh, as we move on to the next story but uh how are they doing it in in maine because yeah, he's well, saying I mean, that there's a 14-day quarantine yeah absolutely uh, yeah it's um yeah it's 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 not great is it there's uh we're a lot of uh, bits of data missing, aren't we, at the end of the day? As I say, Liz is saying that there's a mandatory 14-day uh, quarantine in Canada um, that uh, for, for anyone uh, ret returning outside the country, and some uh, provinces have also, also have a 14-day quarantine if you're coming from another province in Cal Canada. Micah is saying that uh, there is a 14-day quarantine here in Maine if you're coming uh, in from another state. So um, I don't know. It, 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 perhaps it's one of those. I guess it's you'd never get agreement from all countries, would you? Um, essentially, that you know, you almost need like the World Health Organization to almost set the rules. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I guess that would be an, an impossible situation for, for, you know, someone to organise. I guess. Let's let's well, move on to let's move on to something exciting, shall we? Oh, okay. Yes. Why not? With the next story, because we yeah. we love fees. Right. We love some good fees. Okay. We all love an airline with some fees. So let, let, let's let's talk about an airline that has some interesting fees, Matt. Right. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> um, yes, so, uh, uh, sorry, I've got a couple of technical issues going on here in the studio. Uh, fees so or fleas? 
<laughs> we'll, we'll go with fees. Uh, yes, so, uh, yes, Ryanair is story number two, as it is always, as Carlos led to. Uh, worth mo- mentioning, before I get into the story I want to read, is, is uh, so on Tuesday this week, Ryanair came out with a statement basically saying Ryanair will waive its flight f- change fee for all customers who book to travel in July and August, allowing them to book their summer holidays with peace of mind in case their travel plans change. But travellers who are using the airline at the moment are being given some contradictory and possibly controversial advice. Uh, And the story uh, that we're about to read is on the independent independent.co.uk and the headline is Ryanair boss urges passengers to ignore government and travel uh, with cabin bags only Uh, so the story goes on basically that Michael O'Leary has described the latest US government recommendations to airline passengers as more rubbish from the department that brought you the world's least effective quarantine Ryanair I think it's clear clear that he's not a fan obviously the Ryanair chief executive was speaking shortly after the Department for Transport issued guidelines urging passengers to check in all baggage so the Department for Transport says that you are strongly encouraged to check in baggage to the aircraft hold and minimize any hand baggage uh, this will speed up boarding and disassembling uh, uh, disembarking sorry uh, and minimize the risk of transmission the intention is to reduce the amount of standing and waiting in the airport aisle but Mr O'Leary told the independent we're recommending passengers do exactly the opposite it maximize carry-on bags and minimize check-in bags even though clearly we make more money out of the checked bags on a 30 pound hop from edinburgh to dublin next monday ryanair is charging 12 pounds for a 10 kilogram checked-in bag or 20 pounds for a 20 kilogram case our logic has always been that checked-in bags are handled by eight pairs of hands from the check-in desk to the boarding gate all the way through to the arrival airport as well where as Whereas carry-on bags, um, uh, the the passenger keeps them with them at all times. Our passengers are well drilled. Uh, we allow half the passengers to bring two pieces of cabin baggage uh, for an additional charge, typically £10, and half to bring one small piece of cabin baggage. The Ryanair boss described the Department for Transport as the Department of Idiots. Oh, that's very nice of him. <laughs> uh, the airline, uh, the Ar- Ar- Irish airline, which is Europe's biggest budget carrier, has fiercely criticised the 14-day self-isolation rule for all UK arrivals uh, brought in mon- on Monday by the Home Office. A spokesman said recent bookings show how Ryanair, uh, how UK customers are largely ignoring this useless visitor quarantine as they book in their th- they book in their thousands to holiday destinations in July and August. Uh, it was uh, the Independent has asked the de- Department of Transport uh, for a response, but has yet not received one. So there we are. Hmm. Yes, it, it's certainly contradictive advice, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I do kind of see what he, where he's going with this, though, because actually, I mean, is that right, um, Al? I mean, presumably, if you are keeping that bag with you, um, the actual case itself is not being handled by more people. But then I presume, obviously, you know, th- those that are put, putting it, the, the stuff, you know, it's going through the system to be put in the hold. I mean, presumably, they're wearing gloves. Oh, it's a bit of a chicken and egg, this, because... Yeah. The, the carry-on baggage uh, then causes congestion in the aisles as people try to get the bags into the overhead lockers, the hat bins. So whichever way you look at this, there isn't a, a, a perfect way out. 
yes, the people handling the bags uh, traditionally wear gloves anyway because it's quite rough on your hands, so you'd wear sort of rigors gloves. So, oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. The, the difficulty that you face is if you allow people more time for boarding to reduce congestion in the aisles, then you increase the turnaround times. Uh, historically, turnaround times in the low-cost carriers are quite short because time on the ground is expensive time. So, uh, yeah, uh, Michael O'Leary has a point, but he doesn't necessarily have the perfect solution either. Okay, uh, a certain Mr. Stuart McBurney, who I believe uh, Carlos is uh, vaguely familiar with, uh, has uh, <laughs> said that Mr. O'Leary is merely trying to save weight and fuel by the sounds of it. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's, it's a strong argument. <laughs> I don't know if it's correct or not. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. What, what do you reckon, Armando? Do you, do you think it's, is, you know, is, the, is the advice right to, to check your bags? I don't know that it's ever advisable to just say, ah, ignore the government, um, <laughs> having spent a career in government. Right, uh, yes, okay. <laughs> but no, uh, Al makes a good point. I mean, it's, it's wh where's the lesser of the two evils? What are you going to do? You know, I, I, I would think that, that those baggage handlers are taking precautions, um, not to mention the the passenger loads are pretty far down right now, so... I don't know. It's Ryanair, so give it another month, and they'll change it again and uh, <laughs> change their fees, and <laughs> yeah. probably somehow make it where only seven pairs of hands have to touch that uh, that bag, <laughs> or uh, just seven hands. Well, yeah, that's true. It's uh, 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 Paul Tricker, uh, our local listener, uh, is saying that personally, the last place I want to be right now is on a plane. Uh, I just can't see how it's worth the risk. I, I do understand to a degree where he's coming from, though. So, well, unless I'm a, I've got my own pilot's license and a Spitfire of my own, of course, uh, which is uh, you know <laughs> a good idea. But uh, anyway, uh, we could go on about this for hours and hours, yeah. I'm sure. But we shall uh, move on if that's all right. Yeah, the next story uh, is for you, Armando, and this is, um, I think someone was trying to get rid of this aircraft because it was 27 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's still pretty young. It's a 737, <laughs> you know. It's still got a lot of life left. But uh, yeah, from airlive.net, a Boeing 737-400 freighter operated by Kalita Air Charters ran off the runway at Rochester, New York, and a rejected takeoff on the 5th of June. Uh, this Aircraft registration November 733 Charlie Kilo ran off runway 322 uh, at Rochester, came to rest on the grass. Uh, the airport released a statement on Facebook saying that there were no injuries. At, uh, they said at 9.10 this morning on the morning of June 5th, a private 737 DHL cargo plane operated by affiliate Kalita Air exited primary runway, runway 422 southbound onto the grass near the intersection of secondary runway 1028 as it was preparing for takeoff. It was not a commercial passenger aircraft. Uh, there were two pilots aboard, no injuries. Both runways at Rochester were temporarily closed at, uh, at the time due to the location of the aircraft, and they were in the process of addressing the situation. Um, from the pictures there, it looked like they were trying to attach a tow bar in the middle of a muddy field. Yeah. So good luck to that. Mm. <laughs> um, I was looking at Rochester's uh, runway uh, 422, and it's an 8,000-foot by 150-foot uh, runway, and it looks to be 
and I'm going to pass it over to Al here in a second, but uh, it looks look like it was pretty early on in the takeoff roll that this aircraft veered off to the left and, and looks like it crossed a taxiway and uh, came to rest near the intersection, which is probably only about um, 500, 600 feet or so from, from the threshold. So I, you know, I, I have not flown aircraft like this, but uh, Al, what do you think? A spool up issue, toga issue, thrust lever issue? Yeah, there's a, I've not had a chance to look at any of the data. So um, I'm proverbially talking out of my backside uh, on this one. Uh, do we know what sort of speed the, the, the airplane left the paved surface? Do we have a, an indication of that? No, it couldn't, it couldn't have been too much because assuming okay. they only rolled about 800 feet, what do you okay. think about uh, All right. so th 60, this one, 70 knots? Yeah, okay. So there are two big sort of areas that uh, loss of control take place on a takeoff roll. Uh, and the one that's often forgotten is at low speed because most people don't consider that to be a particular risk. But there is a point where the rudder isn't effective enough to keep the aeroplane straight. And if you're not quick in responding to, say, a spool-up issue, an engine failure, the aeroplane <clears throat> excuse me, can depart the centerline very, very quickly. Uh, so low-speed abandons are actually quite perilous so that's a possibility. Um, there doesn't look to be any skid marks or on the runway, so it doesn't look like a set of wheel brakes locked up or anything like that. So I'm not going to dive too much into the speculation. Uh, the weather looks okay. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was clear and winds calm. It was uh, two zero zero at eight, I think, was what I saw. One of the, the areas that sometimes comes up, and again, I have absolutely no idea whether it's relevant to this, is that when we line up on the runway, whether it be a takeoff from stationary or whether it's a rolling takeoff, we set a small amount of thrust on both engines and we wait for them to stabilize before advancing the throttles on a, on a Boeing, thrust levers on an Airbus, to the desired takeoff setting. Now, if the pilots don't do that, you can have quite a significant asymmetry in the spool-up times of those engines. And that can also lead to a loss of control event. Just another possibility. We'll just have to wait and see what the accident investigators say, which is my standard line these days. Yeah, I, I had a look on the Aviation Herald website and there's no there's no additional data on there either. So, so moving on to the next story then. And uh, Al, uh, this is one, uh, we're going, going over to France for this next story. Well, we bien sûr. So this comes from the AIN online website. And the headline is, France unveils 15 billion euro aid package for the aviation industry. The French government on Tuesday announced a 15 billion, that's 17 billion with a B, uh, dollar aid program to support the country's aviation industry. The package includes 7 billion already committed to support 
the flag-carrying airline Air France, and to bring forward orders for the Airbus tanker aircraft for French military forces. Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire announced the support at a press conference in Paris, attended by the President of French Aerospace Industry Group Gifas and the Chief Executives of Dassault, Safran, Thales and Airbus. He said the government had acted to save an estimated 100,000 jobs threatened by the COVID-19 crisis. The aid package comprising so the aid package comprising funds not previously committed to the industry prior to the COVID-19 pandemic consists of multiple tranches of support, including a moratorium on the repayment of 1.5 billion principal on aircraft loans supported by, the, by France's export credit programme. The government earmarked 1.5 billion to euros to support the research and development into digital and reduced carbon technology for aviation over five years. 300 billion euros of this fund will be available to French companies during the remainder of 2020. The support package also includes 500 million, potentially rising to 1 billion euros to help medium-sized aerospace suppliers. A further 300 million is set to help subcontractors to modernize their production facilities. Le Maire told reporters that the French government is determined to play a leading role in protecting the future of Europe's aviation industry. He said Airbus cannot surrender its position in the global market to US rival Boeing and China's Comac Group. I always thought that Air France was saving um saving money by get, you know getting rid of their 38 getting rid of some of their 38s not all of them but i thought they'd be um saving money anyway the air the, the airline itself anyway air france because they have had quite a thin out of their um of their fleet their wide body fleet uh, yeah i think the 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 key thing there is the differentiation between saving money and reducing expenditure they're not really the same Every airline at the moment is having to pay huge amounts of money and is, relatively speaking, receiving small amounts in. So it's all about uh, reducing their exposure uh, by uh, grounding and getting rid of the 380s. But they, their, their burn rate, which we tend to refer to in the industry, the amount of money that you're spending each day is considerable because uh, you're not flying the jets, but you've got to keep maintaining them. You've got to keep paying all of your staff. So where does that money come from? And it's that age-old thing. Do we approach the government for help? Because if the government doesn't help, then the people become unemployed, and then the government has to pay them. Mm. What do you think, uh, um, Armando? Obviously, you're, you're over in the US, but um, uh, you've probably flown Air France, I would imagine, at least once. Your... Uh, I have. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I, it's, a, it's a flag carrier. So I, I think we've seen this around the world in several countries where um, I know El Al was in the news recently. They were, they were getting uh, government bailout. I, I think there's a lot of uh, national carriers that are, that are getting some help. Um, I think we've done a couple of those stories, actually, in the past mm. couple of weeks. My personal feeling on this, um, and it may surprise some people, 
is that I would actually prefer the governments to receive some sort of share package in the airlines that's on the businesses that they're supplying uh, grants to. If they're loaning the money, that's fine because they will get it back with an appropriate amount of interest. But if they're gifting money to businesses, I would like the state to receive some share in future profit and, and well-being of those businesses. I don't know what anybody else thinks. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I know that that was uh, <laughs> no, no, that that was uh, one of the things that um, was proposed. I think in our transportation um, aid package was that the government would get some shares. I don't know what I don't know what actually happened with that or not. Um, I mean, just, just, I mean, again, we're going ever so slightly political, but this isn't magic money that's suddenly been found. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's not, so, it's, yeah, it's not funny money. So ultimately, we are all as taxpayers and citizens having to pay for this. So I think it's right and fair that governments are supporting all types of industry especially aviation. It's very, very important industry from manufacturing to the, the end product and flying. Uh, but, you know, that money's got to come from somewhere. So that, that's my personal thoughts. Well done, France, for uh, putting up a quite considerable amount of money. I personally don't know how much the UK's put it. Uh, it may well be comparable. And obviously the US has uh, put its hand into its pocket. Uh, but, you know, it's got to come from somewhere. So the next story, moving on to uh, the eveningstandard.co.uk. And uh, obviously with airlines all across the globe struggling to make money uh, across uh, here in the UK, BA have decided to sell artworks worth millions by major British stars in a bid to save costs during the COVID meltdown. So uh, British Airways is quietly selling off millions of pounds of its art collection as it battles to survive the coronavirus uh, outbreak. Uh, the airline has a large art collection. I never knew that. Obviously, Nev would do. Uh, by mostly British artists, including works by Damien Hirst, Peter Doig, uh, of which one is known to be worth well over one million pounds and have been displayed in its lounges for 30 or 40 years. Uh, the that's why we haven't seen them. They're in the lounges. Um, the, well, they're not going to be in the lavatory, are they? Yeah, You're not well, going to have a, you know, a million-pound piece of artwork in the bog, let's be honest, are you? Well, you would do in a business-class lounge. Anyway, <laughs> the collection is increasing. No, 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 you're not going to have them in the business-class lounge. There's far too much riffraff in there. You want them in the uh, first-class lounge. Oh, okay. Uh, uh. So... <laughs> <laughs> Play nice oh, you too, please. If only, if only. <laughs> Artworks, uh, Art World sources say valuers from Sotheby's have been brought in by the airline to value a host of works with a view to selling them imminently. Uh, one piece by renowned painter Brigitte, uh, Brigitte Riley, uh, currently hanging at a Heathrow executive lounge, is among those earmarked for sale with a price tag. Uh, one expert says, well into seven figures. At least 10 artworks out of BA's collection will be going under the hammer with selections coming from its business lounges, oh, there we go, and the walls of its waterside headquarters at near Heathrow. The airline declined to comment on the sale, but sources there said the idea of selling the works had come from staff for ideas about how to save money. Well, it's a good idea. I mean, if selling the artwork's going to... Um, save the staff's jobs i think that's more important than anything else 
Don't we agree? Very much so. Um, of course, British Airways, very hot topic at the moment. Uh, yes. So don't get me started. <laughs> okay, we'll move on then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's move on to let's move on to you, Matt, with this next uh, story, um, all about Wizz Air. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, on simpleflying.com. It's one of our favourite websites, as I'm sure many of you know. And the headline goes: Wizz Air wants 100 aircraft based in Abu Dhabi by 2035. So Wizz Air is going full force when it comes to its new Abu Dhabi hub, the local carrier aims to expand to 100 aircraft in the new base by 2035 says oh uh, you might have to help me with this um the is it jo- joseph vardy Joseph Ferradi. Joseph Ferradi, thank you very much. Uh, in a recent webinar, uh, Ferradi expressed his excitement about launching Wizz new hub by the end of 2020. Uh, plans for Abu Dhabi's hub began back in December of last year in a deal uh, between Abu Dhabi developmental holding company ADDH and Wizz Air Holdings. The coronavirus that plagued the aviation industry earlier this year, what do you mean <laughs> early this year, still plaguing the industry, uh, has not determined the ambitious carrier from its aim. In fact, the airline is still scheduled to launch fully in October. In the next few weeks, uh, uh, Varadi says the airline will focus on building up its network. Intending to hit 100 aircraft in the next 15 years does not phase Varadi at all. Since the airline war, um, has... Uh, done it before with its many with its main hungry base. Uh, Varadi is positive that the Abu Dhabi hub will be able to follow suit, as mentioned by Varadi in the uh, World Aviation Festival webinar with leading analyst and consultant John Strickland. He says that this is an, uh, an initiative that will take us to probably the scale of Wizz Air Hungary in the same period. So if you look at the numbers, Wizz Air Hungary made it to about 100 aircraft in 15 years and Wizz Air Abu Dhabi will also make it to 100 aircraft in 15 years as well, if not more. At this point, Wizz Air exclusively operates uh, Airbus A320s. Wizz Air Hungary boasts a fleet uh, size of 122 Airbus with over 260 aircraft on order, including the novel Airbus A321XLR. Is that the extra long range? Is that the XLR? Is that what that stands for? Excellent. Extra long range. Uh, Extra long range, yes. Okay. Uh, The carrier will launch from Abu Dhabi with six aircraft in its fleet, as opposed to its original plan of three. Uh, Varadi ensures customers that the experience of flying from the new base uh, will will mimic that of Wizz Air Hungary. So that's very exciting. That's good news, isn't it? It's nice to hear, actually, that... um, I mean, I guess the thing is, is I mean, you spend a lot of time putting these plans in place. And, you know, I guess everybody's sort of hoping maybe come October that there will at least be some flying going on by then. Very much so. And I think that uh, the airline, Wizz Air, has been quite dynamic and quite clearly sees that there is a, a good future beyond this blip and you know is going to carry on with what it planned to do and uh, maybe enhance it or enlarge it and um, that can only be a, a great thing going forward. Absolutely. Uh, it's nice to see a, an airline expanding rather than contracting. So, yeah, especially at the moment, uh, completely agreed. Mm. Yes. So moving on to the next story, Armando, you've got uh, some ATR 72 news. 
from one of our favorite websites from flightglobal.com. Fiji Airways has converted one ATR 72-600 into a freighter configuration for cargo operations. The turboprop operated by a regional subsidiary, Fiji Link, flew its first freighter flight from the Fijian capital of Nadi to Port Vila, carrying 3.8 tons of cargo, including medical supplies. Uh, Fiji Airways states that the reconfiguration work, which involved the stripping of all the passenger seats, was carried out by its engineering subsidiary, subsidiary Nadi. It adds that it can switch between freight only and passenger configurations where necessary. Uh, the airline has planned another freighter service for the week, this time from Nadi to, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, uh, in neighboring Tonga. Uh, <laughs> Fiji Airways Chief Executive Andre Viljoen says a converted ATR 72-600 allows for carriage of up to eight tons of cargo, while a normal passenger ATR can only cater up to 1.7 tons. The converted ATR freighter service is ideal for Pacific Island countries given the demand and operating conditions in the region. Um, yeah, I I was uh, asking for the story because the ATR, I think, was really, really popular in passenger operations probably in the 2000s, 2010s or so, but now more and more are popping up as freighter uh, uh, aircraft. And I know that uh, there's one large company here in our state of North Carolina, uh, Mountain Air Cargo, that operates a pretty significant fleet of ATR freighters. And I know a lot of the old American Eagle ones from uh, San Juan have been converted over to freighters. So I think by all accounts, it's a pretty good platform. And, you know, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, there's money in freight right now when there isn't money in passenger operations. So uh, good for Fiji in um, capitalizing on, on this uh, quick conversion ability of this aircraft. Absolutely. I think the ATR-72 lends itself quite nicely to the, the freight conversion because I've been a passenger on one. There's still quite a few passenger airlines flying them around Europe. And as a passenger, you actually board the aircraft at the rear, walk your way down to the front of the aircraft because basically between the passenger cabin and the flight deck is where the bags are loaded. So the cargo hold is actually between the uh, passengers and the flight deck. So if you take out all of those seats, you're just able to load the aircraft via the pre-existing cargo door. Well, that that's one way to get people to like deposit their bags in the correct compartment then, huh? <laughs> as you're coming on and be like, uh-uh, that's, that's enough right there. <laughs> when you look inside the, uh, inside the cabin on the 72, it looks so, so really tiny, but on the picture on the story, they have fit quite a lot in there, to be fair even though there's the there's quite a narrow body uh, i think it's a two and two configuration mm. right al uh two and gosh uh you've got me i can't remember and i was only on one a few months ago well to be fair you travel so much that they all start looking like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is two and two you, you, two you're and right two. yes yeah so moving on to the next story, Captain Al, and uh, this is specially chosen just for you because it's all about lie flat beds. Ah, yes. But in economy? 
Really? Oh, anyway, this comes from the uh, Simple Flying website, uh, which is a trusted friend of the show, uh, but actually a really good website. I've, uh, I've got their app, as it so goes. Anyway, that's by the side. The story is uh, stacked seating could permit lie flat beds in economy. Interesting article. Um, I'm hoping, Matt, that you can put up some of the pictures because the picture paints a thousand words for this. So the story says, with airlines preparing for a post-COVID future, many are thinking about ways to encourage passengers back to the skies. While all airlines are implementing enhanced cleaning and hygiene procedures, some are considering whether this goes far enough. As such, many companies have uh, been beavering away to produce innovative seating concepts that could provide more privacy and distancing in flight. The latest is called the Zephyr seat. So there's a, a quite a nice picture to have a look at and some video. Uh, the Zephyr seat is produced by San Francisco startup Zephyr Aerospace. So this is going to be one of those gambles. It's either going to be an absolute flop or a roaring success. So if you've got any spare cash, make your decisions, make your bets now. Anyway, the Zephyr seat is designed to provide not only more social distancing on board, but also access to lie flat comfort in non-premium cabins. Targeted for development in premium economy, the double-decker arrangement will give every passenger direct aisle access and the ability to lie down. Wow. The concept works by putting one passenger above another thereby allowing the same capacity as uh, typically seen in premium economy, but with more distance between each person. In addition, rather than the usual relatively generous recline, passengers will have the ability to lie completely flat and grab some sleep on long-haul flights. Can anyone see the obvious problem here? Um, no? I mean, what about evacuation we, emergencies and things no, like that? No, I'm thinking of something much more basic than that. Have you ever slept in a bunk bed? Yes. And someone's, right. always, someone's always got to get down off the top bunk six and a half thousand times a night. So, so when, when your, your party-loving mate upstairs decides to knock over his bottle of vintage Chablis, oh, no. where is it going to go? Um, All over you, yes. Okay. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, do you want to know a little bit more about it or... Uh, we, we, we can say that the seats require a similar amount uh, re require a similar amount of pitch to regular premium economy seats, anything between 38 and 42 inches. Uh, seating would be in a 242 configuration, um, with a with 78 inches of lie flat space. This would be, or these would be, some of the biggest beds in the sky. They've been designed to use lightweight composite materials, which Zephyr Aerospace says will lead to a 90% reduction in direct maintenance costs. Now, all of the airlines know that these swanky lie-flat beds are always breaking. Usually, it's because they've been designed by people who've never actually operated something new. <laughs> so, I, thought, I thought you were going to say uh, they were invented by people who have never slept well, <laughs> that, that too. Some possibly, of these yeah. seats require a degree in engineering that, <laughs> frankly, is not going to be applied by the average 16 stone business passenger 
Or equally, when the seat is misbehaving, the average seven-stone cabin attendant who is just going to jump up and down it and say, work, you little bleaker. So, Ooh, I, I, I got yeah, all hot and sweaty uh, there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, in addition to that, in the video, it was showing that the ladder is an extending, has some kind of extendable aisle, yeah. function. Yeah, that's that shouldn't make anybody upset at all when their ladders are all pulled out and <laughs> you can't get to the loo so i'm, I'm going to whiz through some of the the chat room bits and pieces if i may here uh it's uh sorry i've got got some real problems here in the studio but we're, we're soldiering on as best we can uh it's uh so i again i sort of mentioned it earlier richard adams was saying uh, make for an interesting evacuation I mean, if everybody's all in their life lap, but I, I, I guess you could argue it's not really any different to people who are asleep, um, perhaps in, in business class, maybe. I mean, perhaps that's something that's not an issue. Alan White is suggesting that perhaps when we get to PTUK 300, the headline will be, this company has gone bust. I mean, there, there is some logic uh, there. Uh, Chris Marsh, great, uh, great question here. Like, where does the carry-on go? Because normally, obviously, it goes in the in the the bin above your head, but of course, they won't be in this particular configuration, will it? Uh, it does show somewhere on one of the pictures. Um, if you look on the first picture in the article, which shows the double decker, if you look to the the right of the seat, you'll find a a little cupboard type affair. Mm. Right. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to find that now. Um, Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it looks awesome, but you you would need a you know this this isn't going to fit in a you know a seven three seven or a, a three twenty. This is this is for the triple sevens and the seven eight seven sort of size. And one thing that also springs to mind is uh, how are you going to get your PRM passengers to the upstairs? Uh, again, uh, uh, an excellent point uh, being being made as always. Cut a hole through the ceiling. Yeah, there we go. Yes, so yes, it's, yeah. There isn't a great deal of yeah. I suppose, the, yeah, in that picture, that there is a little cubby hole, isn't there, that you can just sort of you put your your carry on on in in. I suppose so. It's probably not any any worse than than anything else that we that we're used to now. I guess space wise, I don't know. I mean, what 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 do you guys think? I mean, uh, uh, to me, it looks quite appealing, but. Um, Perhaps I'm, perhaps sure. I'm in the minority. Minority. It sure I does think look swanky, but I, I don't know that the cabin crew will be. That's you know, that swanky with an it? S. Yes, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how are you going to do service up there? How are you going to do handle medical emergencies? You're going to. I don't know. There's a lot. Of, there's yeah. a lot of. Another point that Chris that Chris Marsh is making: no windows. No, oh yeah, there's no windows True. in the picture. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're fast approaching the the period of time where windows can be electronically created. So yeah. why why look at the empty ocean when you can watch a you know a Kylie Minogue video on your window? True. Or, True. Yeah. <laughs> or indeed, you might be you might be flowing over the industrial <laughs> wasteland that is known as France. Uh, I thought you'd make the could... approach to Mali. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they could show you that you're flying over the Amazon jungle. You know, it'd be far more exciting. Yeah, even if you're flying to Malaga. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yes. yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Paul uh, Paul Tricker was saying that it, you know ejection seats for all as a possible option. Uh, Masha sort of <laughs> seems to think it does look it will make meal service actually uh, does does look it will make the meal service any easier. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, it's. Uh, it's a concept, it, isn't it? An, We've yeah, all seen an, concept cars. It is an interesting concept. Will it ever come to 
No, I don't think so. No. Not uh, in our time. Paul actually says, I don't want to see an electric window. I want a window I can stick my head out of in the breeze. Um, again, small <laughs> issue perhaps with that. Can be arranged. I mean, there's some you know, cabin pressure issues there, presumably. Uh, but <laughs> you know, yeah. a couple of couple of glitches. Anyway, we should probably okay, move on. A bit chillier as well. <laughs> you can buy your own Piper Cub and then just fly with the window open and do it. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, maybe a little more than your average um, ticket, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, moving on. We're going to go local with this next story. This uh, next one is on the Eastern Daily Press. Or as we like to call it here, the EDP. So brace, the, uh, brace, brace then. Oh, I know. This, um, this is, this is, I like this story. This is good. Um, the headline, Paramotor Pilot Takes Rare Flight Over Norwich Airport. Um, notice I didn't put the word international in there. <laughs> I suppose you can, really. They'd hardly fly anywhere. But anyway, unless you are in the cockpit of an aircraft, you will not be able to see this view, it says. And uh, the uh, thanks to Daniel Jones uh, and the coronavirus pandemic, uh, here it is, he said. Matt, I expect we'll put the pictures on the screen. At Norwich Airport's runway from the air, the 26-year-old paramotor pilot from Old Catton, who was who took up the hobby in August 2019, has made a film of himself flying over the airport at sunset. Uh, the flight would not normally be possible due to tr air traffic restrictions, which would prevent paramotors from flying through the international airspace. But as a result of the coronavirus outbreak, Norwich Airport is currently operating at reduced hours, meaning restrictions have now changed or exchanged, allowing Mr. Jones to make the flight. Uh, he said that he took all the correct precautions to check the flight, which took place in May, uh, and he made sure it was legal before setting off. He said that earlier in the day he called up the air traffic control guys because uh, I noticed that the Civil Aviation Authority had put a no-time saying the airspace was only operating between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. UTC. So I made sure there were no flights going out and that they were happy for me to fly around the airport. He set off at 7 p.m. aiming to get to the airport at around 7.30. Had a little bit of a headwind but got there. The aim was just to fly around the airport at sunset when the light was really nice. Mr. Jones said it was a really nice flight, uh, definitely worth uh, a once-in-a-lifetime chance, he said. Uh, all the good bits of flying were summed up in one flight. It was really magical, he said. Mr. Jones, who is a videographer, filmed the entire flight and has since posted a video of it on social media so others can enjoy the rare view of Norwich Airport. He said the reaction to the film has been great. He said, uh, closing, that he's really grateful that he can share the different view that people don't normally see unless they are in the cabin of an aircraft. And it's, uh, it's a view I've seen a few times from the air, but normally, as it says, it's normally a lot busier than that. And if you were doing that uh, any other time... We're still time, talking about Norwich here, are we? <laughs> yeah, bizarrely <laughs> enough, you, they, they, do, they do get quite upset when you try and bust their, air, their um, control zone. But... Um, yeah. Well, I understand that when Mr. Jones phoned up to do this, uh, the airport asked him when he wanted to do it, and he said, well, um, on Monday, and they went, yeah, yeah, that, that'll be fine, I promise. He said, well, if the weather's not so good, how about Tuesday? And they went, yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. Um, <laughs> Wednesday's okay, too. Um, yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they're all good, in fact. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> 
Uh, it's uh, nice, nice to see some local news anyway. It's a, it's a good view as well. Nice little video as well. It's a view, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, just worth noting here, Tony has said he's lucky he didn't get tangled up with one of Armando's ospreys. Uh, there is a... Uh, yeah, there's very a true. That. No, that is, that <laughs> actually, is a very good point, actually. <laughs> you, uh, cast your, your was mind back to the other day, Matt, when we were on, I think it was a Zoom call. And oh, it was, there was something. Said, there, yeah, there was an osprey flying over, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt uh, sort of blurted in my ear. Said, "There's something just coming over low over the over the house." You know, quickly have a look. And before I even had a chance to stick my head out the window, there was just this going over the house, and an osprey, Armando, literally came over here. At, I would have to guess, probably no more than four, five hundred five. Feet. 500 five, feet. five, definitely yeah. five. Yeah, definitely five. Yeah. Five, five hundred feet, five hundred feet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but but it is way. I, put it instead this way. Of I no more than four, instead of no more than four hundred, you meant to say at least five hundred. At right? least five hundred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He could, yes. okay. uh, the, you, you could honestly see that the pilot needed a shave. It was that he was that. Right. Long, you know? Gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah you know, I, when I was when I was watching the paramotor video, I was thinking, you know, yeah, that it. But he probably was a thousand feet above the altitude that the Ospreys and some of the F 15s yeah. and C 130s fly over there. So, yeah. Uh, Tony uh, S is saying. So you, I'm sure there was plenty of room to spare. Yeah, Tony S is saying in the chat room here, he said um, it's uh, no transponder. Uh, Stephen S has then sort of hinted that actually uh, it's a two stroke engine, probably loud enough so he doesn't need a transponder. Um, <laughs> but apparently it look, the footage looks great though, so it could be worse. Yeah, absolutely. What, what I'm particularly pleased with this is that, you know, all jokes aside, the guy's made a lovely video. He's, he's ticked all the boxes. He's done all the right conscientious things. So well done, this man. Absolutely. And what I, I'll do, I'll, what I'll, I'll, do, I'll second that. I completely agree with that, that uh, there's a lot of videos that are going online that are getting a lot of negative publicity. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't agree with Al more that, that it's finally good to see a positive video with positive response. Mm, yeah. Uh, what I will do, uh, guys and girls, if you haven't seen it already, I will make sure that the link is in the show notes uh, so you can join it. It's, it's about nine minutes long, the actual, the original video, uh, and it's it's worth watching with sound. It, it's a really lovely, uh, it's a really lovely flight. So and it uh, gives you a yourself. good idea of the area that me and Matt live in. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd just just enjoy the view. That's all I'd say. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, just leave it. Oh, plus, it it gives you a great chance to look at, you know, our international airport where right. Again, me, and Matt, me and Matt regularly Matt, fly from Norwich. Yeah, Matt, I beg your pardon? Uh, right, maybe not focus on that so much. Um, you know, I was just talking about this on, on APG last week. There is, I, I've flown a lot of places in, in the US and South America and the Pacific and Africa and East Anglia had its own charm and I really, really enjoyed flying over there and seeing all of the old airfields, seeing, you know, Framlingham Castle and Norwich Castle. And it was for, for a foreigner to be able to fly over there. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, so don't, don't be too hard on yourselves. I, I thought it was great. And Al, that flight, that, that, that pseudo formation flight that we did over to Seething, I thought that was pretty cool too. And I, and I was looking down and it's like, oh my gosh, this is, there's, there's, it's a beautiful day out here. The weather looks great. East Anglia looks green. And uh, yeah, I beautiful. really enjoyed flying over there. It was, it was a great day. It was good fun and uh, nice to fly somewhere where terrain's not an issue. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. Come back again. Come back again. Yeah. When this is all over. Yeah. When this is all over. Yeah. We'll have another, we'll have another barbecue meetup somewhere. 
So moving on to uh, the last story then, uh, Captain Al, and uh, it's all about the cargo aircraft, but a, but a slightly different type of cargo aircraft. Yeah, this is quite interesting. This comes from the AIN online website, and the, uh, the headline is Airflow launches e-stall electric cargo aircraft. Who are Airflow, I hear you ask? Well, it's a startup launched by five former members of Airbus's Van Hana eVTOL aircraft development team. And uh, they have announced plans to build an electric-powered short takeoff and landing, eStall, to be used for cargo operations. The California-based company said it can get the fixed-wing aircraft into production and certified under FAA Part 23 rules by 2025. That's quite a time frame that they've set there. That's not far away at all. The unnamed aircraft is intended to be operated from short landing strips of just 300 feet in length. That's pretty short. Airflow said it will actually only require 150 feet for takeoff. Even more exciting. The company intends to develop what it calls an aerial logistics network for moving cargo between warehouses and distribution points with so-called middle mile trips between 50 and 250 miles and at speeds of up to 115 miles per hour. It believes it can provide more efficient freight, freight transportation than trucks. Initially, Airflow's e-stall is intended for single pilot operations and will carry a payload of 500 pounds. Uh, what's that? Just over 200 kilos or so in a 90 cubic foot cabin. Airflow claims that it will be operated at around one third of the average hourly cost of a comparable helicopter or one of the new e-VTOL aircraft under development. According to co-founder and CEO Mark Ausman, Airflow believes it will only need around 200 million US dollars for development and certification costs. It estimates the equivalent amount needed for an eVTOL aircraft is around 700 million US dollars. The design concept unveiled on the 10th of June shows 10 propellers on the leading edge of the wing and a single pusher propeller at the rear of the fuselage. Airflow is evaluating several different concepts with the final configuration to be reflected in a full-scale prototype that is expected to fly around mid-2023. So we're 2020 now, so in three years' time, they're going to have a flying prototype. This is quite exciting, actually. Um, Carlos, you, you have the odd van at your disposal. Um, how many kilos of, of stuff can you put into the back of a van? Our largest one will take 1.3, mm, 1.2 And what about a, like a, a small van? Probably my van, my personal van, your favourite TriStar van, which yeah. you doctored, um, will take 900 kilos. Oh, you mean the Airbus um, van? Okay. That's the one. Oh, the Air, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> 900 <laughs> kilos. So small vans, 500, 600, 900 kilos, larger vans, anything up to a tonne, just over okay. a tonne. So these, these aircraft are going to have a payload of 500 pounds, um, 200 kilos. Not a lot, is it? Mm. 
It's not a lot, no. Mm. It's... I like the idea that it, of it being electric, though. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are lots of people looking at sort of uh, similar delivery type roles for, uh, well, VTOL, so vertical takeoff and landing. But my thought is that if you're going to be looking at delivering packages to replace, say, your, your conventional sort of transit, transit. van type yeah. fare, um, you're going to need to up the payload quite a bit. That's just my thoughts. Yeah, that's a good good point, actually, Al. That you know, yeah, if you are going to be replacing something something like a like a, a normal general transit style Ford Transit van, then you are they would have to at least double the size, I think, of that design. Very there true. we go. Very true. Mm. Mm. Okay, uh, so that's where we bring uh, the. Uh, have I got that right? No. Yes, I have. Yes, yep. sorry. Commercial so, news. Yeah, that's the end. Yeah, you. Sorry, you do it better than me, Carlos. Why don't you do it? And that's <laughs> where we bring the commercial <laughs> news segment to a I was close. Tr- I was trying to do two things at once here. Yes, uh, that is the end of w- what I was trying to say. Actually, is um, uh, now um, Armando, you were actually in the chat room last week, weren't we? We were talking about um, the wake turbulence off the back of the diamond crash in Dubai, uh, and um, you just wanted to sort of uh, bring us up to speed a little bit uh, on what you were talking about uh, in the chat room. So go into a little more detail yeah that's right it was uh you know this is one of those things i I was listening to and i had read the article before and uh and i'm happy we do have al on here again because um al still flies general aviation as well as flying his airbus around so uh, the the whole idea of wake turbulence and wake avoidance is something that's instilled on into you pretty early on in your aviation training um I can only imagine that that was the case, especially with this uh, gentleman who by all accounts was an experienced aviator and somebody that uh, was looked look, looked up to in, in this airport. Um, but I, so what I, what I wanted to kind of talk about is, is a crew resource management, uh, safety operational risk management type discussion about uh, complacency and negative reinforcement um, where, you know, the, the day of the mishap, he was on his 10th approach and he had followed, uh, A380s. He had, he had followed A380s and down and, and continued to, uh, encroach upon the required minimums, both time and, and spacing, uh, on his practice approaches into, into the airport. And, uh, despite repeated sort of advisories from ATC who have their own regulations, um, this particular pilot in command continued to uh, press it just a little bit further, a little bit further. And it's, you know, it's one of these things that is so common when they're analyzing mishaps where they go back and look at a pilot's history and they figure out that there's been a pattern of continued negative reinforcement. Well, you know, I, I've flown this approach. I've flown it behind 7.3s and A380s and A350s for the past five years, and I've never been. You guys tell tell me every time, caution, wake turbulence, and nothing's ever happened. Um, and and I'm not, you know, we, we never look down upon pilots, especially fatal accidents where, where you know, you're trying to Monday morning quarterback and, and tell, oh, that guy must have been a terrible pilot. But... But complacency 
sets in to the most, even the most experienced pilots. And it, it was highly likely that this gentleman just hadn't actually gotten into one of these vortices in his twin engine diamond um, until the day he did. And it, and it flipped it, it flipped the airplane over pretty close to the ground. I don't know, Al, what are, what are your thoughts, How, you know, flying both the Piper and the Airbus? I think you're absolutely right. And it is one of those unfortunate areas where it's not an exact science. Yes, we know a, a lot about it, but uh, wake vortices are affected by the weather. So you can very rarely recreate the exact scenario over and over. We can do it in the simulator, but it's entirely artificial. And you're absolutely right. You just sort of chip away at the edge of the envelope and you get away with it, you get away with it, you get away with it until the one time that you don't. I also think that in the field of the calibrator world, they're, they're trying their very best because invariably these are commercial operations. So the state or the airport has paid for them to come in to do the calibration. So there's a commercial pressure to try to get these calibrations done as quickly as possible because they know that they're causing disruption to the normal flow of traffic. Air traffic control see them as a necessary evil, but you know they prefer if it was just done, dusted and finished and done on someone else's watch. The calibrator guys know that you know they're getting in the way. The airline guys get fed up because you know you you you're being extended downwind because of the calibrator or the runway's not available because of the calibrator. Uh, those of us who've flown enough will have heard enough about, yeah, the, you know, that, that runway's been calibrated, etc. So undoubtedly, they, the guys who do the calibration will feel under some form of commercial pressure, even if it's only self-imposed. So unfortunately, I feel that it's, it's one of those areas of aviation, a little bit like banner towing, where you can push it and push it and push it. And just, if you just push it that nano millimeter, uh, you will just run out of luck. Yeah. And, and the reason I wanted to revisit this is I think our listeners, there are a good number of pilots, uh, both professional and uh, general aviation pilots, as well as student pilots and people aspiring to be pilots. And, um, the the reason that we talk about these mishaps isn't you know we don't, nobody's there's no ratings nobody's getting any money for this um i know that the one of the reasons that i'm on the show and I, I i would venture to say al you're probably the same is to pass on your experiences and especially some of those people that are that are listening to this and and can maybe get a little nugget of wisdom that they're gonna uh, look back upon i used to be a uh, CRM instructor in the military and every single class we would review five or six case studies this one time that this thing happened and the example that we're trying to extrapolate is this the lesson that we're trying to take out is this well though even in my day-to-day -day flying those examples come to mind I had a nose gear light issue in in my airplane not too long ago and uh, and Eastern Airlines 401 came right to the front of my mind, you know, those guys that plowed mm -hmm. into the Everglades and, and it made me say, all right, 
I've got the airplane. You troubleshoot that light. Um, and, uh, and it's just important to develop those habits and learn from mishaps, which is why we talk about them is, is, you know, we give our analysis a little bit of our experience. Um, and, and we have such a varied experience that, that hopefully somebody somewhere thinks about that, that one time that the diamond was following an A3 or A350 too close. And, you know, one thing that came to mind when we were talking about it was that the, the Bombardier, the Challenger, a couple years ago that got caught in a wake turbulence from an A380 in the flight levels. I think they were at 30-something thousand feet, and it flipped that airplane on its back. Um, they were able to recover, but the airplane was written off when it got back on the ground. Mm. That was at 1,000 feet or 30-something thousand feet. Um, so it is a very real thing, and it's easy to – I, I just think that wake turbulence is one of those things that's easy because you can't see it <laughs> to say, you know. Uh, Absolutely. And there are some uh, geographical differences. Um, I was just reminded of uh, my little general aviation flight with, uh, that I did with our good friend Stephen Ivey uh, back last year. And I let Stephen fly the approach back into uh, my home base, which is Liverpool. Uh, he did a cracking job, incidentally. I wouldn't have expected anything less. And as we're going downwind, uh, we were following in the sequence an EasyJet A320. And uh, they cleared us to basically join from downwind to final. And the tower controller said, uh, recommended wake spacing is six miles. And Stephen looked at me and he went, whoa, they actually tell you what the spacing is? Mm -hmm. I said, well, yeah, because that's what we do here. Uh, and he said, oh, well, you know, it's just entirely up to your discretion um, ATC don't remind you of it in the US. So there are differences. Uh, in the particular situation that we're talking about, it's very much one of those that are just sort of chipping away at the edges. But it serves as a reminder to all of us that it's not just folklore that aeroplanes get destroyed by weight turbulence. Mm -hmm. No, indeed. And that's a, a great place to sort of move on, I think, guys. Uh, thank, thanks for that. That's, uh, uh, it's not something I, me as a Mr. Joe Bloggs could ever imagine to sort of even begin to understand. But um, as you say, I think important information for, for anyone flying GA. That was very good. Thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> well, you do fly GA, or at least you did. I, 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 I just, I was just sitting there. I was totally engrossed with that. I could have sat there all day and listened to that. Yeah. But uh, no, we are going to hand things over to uh, for the next part of the show to uh, to Armando. No, so, we're uh, not. You, you, you really need to watch your show notes. Honestly, what are you like? Read the script, man. Read <laughs> yeah, the script. Even I read friend. What do you? Like? I scrolled down yeah. too far. That's my fault. Yeah. Uh, he is going to. Yes, we are. In my defence, I do have a new mouse. Do you? Right. Okay. We'll blame it on the mouse then. But. Uh, yeah, a military is coming up in just a moment where we will indeed be handing over to Armando. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, sorry about that. Yes, yeah, despite your best efforts, you haven't waffled on enough. So there is still time for military. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, Chris, uh, Chris Marsh, who's actually still in the chat room here, uh, we've got a delightful part two uh, of his uh, flight uh, passenger experience with um, uh, with La Compagnie. This is the second part of my private jet style passenger experience with the French airline La Compagnie that happened back in 2015. 
during the time when they operated a regular route from Luton in the UK to Newark, New Jersey. The flight was on a 757 and because the route was just being established, Jilly and I were two of only 12 passengers in an aircraft configured with just 74 business class seats. I left you last time as we headed out over the Atlantic enjoying the meal service which, although not the very best business class meal I've ever had, that was on Singapore Airlines, it was, as you might expect from a French based company, more than satisfactory. It was slightly unusual in that our chosen first course came out on a tray with cheese and dessert course already alongside. The first course plate was then swapped for a plate with the main course that we'd ordered. The in-flight entertainment was also rather novel. It took the form of a tablet that could either be held or slotted into a holder in front of each seat. I didn't intend to make much use of it anyway because I've never really enjoyed films on planes so I tend to limit my use of screens to following the journey on the flight map. Instead, I just sipped wine, listened to music, and enjoyed the view of the ocean until the broken cloud below turned to solid overcast. I then pulled down the blinds, powered the seat back into a reclined position, and dozed for a few hours. It was somewhere over the coast of Canada that I decided to stretch my legs and headed back into the rear section of the aircraft. The few passengers that were on the flight were all seated in the front section and so I took this unique opportunity to find myself a window seat in the empty rear cabin. From where I sat I couldn't even see another soul and I guess the nearest person must have been 30 or 40 feet from where I was. I'm quite sure that I'll never have so much space to myself again while cruising at 39,000 feet. We arrived in Newark a little after 9pm. We only had carry-ons and the transit through Immigration and Customs, which is usually a bit of a pain, was amazingly swift. Just over an hour from touchdown, we were in our room at the Hilton Airport Hotel. The whole experience had been so relaxing that it was genuinely hard to believe that we really were in the USA. But when dawn broke the next morning, it revealed a skyline beyond the airport that could be nowhere else than New York. We enjoyed a few days doing the usual New York tourist stuff, including watching the 4th of July fireworks over Brooklyn Bridge, and then it was time to head back. The return flight was not scheduled to leave until about 22.30, so I decided to eat in the lounge and get the maximum amount of sleep on the flight. This is where the business class experience really comes into its own. So, shortly after takeoff, and having had a large glass of red wine as a nightcap, I extended the seat into a bed and quickly fell fast asleep. I slept perfectly until roused in the morning by the smell of coffee. It was a hot breakfast, but of course it did include the mandatory French croissant. If you heard the first part of this story, you'll remember that I spotted the Myra test track and Rockingham Speedway as we left Luton. Coming back, we made a turn directly over the Silverstone racetrack, which had held the British Grand Prix just a couple of days earlier. 
we might not have made our transatlantic flights exactly like a Formula One star would do, but I think it's about as close as we're ever likely to get. As a postscript to this story, I should point out that the route, that the route didn't last very long. Now, maybe that's not surprising given the small number of passengers that we saw. 12 on the way out and maybe twice that on the way back. But the load factor did increase and a year later was apparently about 70%. However, the plug was still pulled in September 2016. The French carrier made a statement and you're going to need to imagine the accent. They said that the decision had been made in view of a new economic climate in Europe fueled by Brexit. The aircraft from Luton was redeployed to add a second daily service from Paris to New York. In 2019, the airline replaced both of its 757s with two brand new Airbus A321neos. These have 76 lie flat seats and conventional seat back TVs rather than the tablets that were on our flight. The airline was fully operational right up to the US border closing earlier this year and it plans to resume flights when conditions allow. While you might not get the amazing promotional fare that I was lucky enough to find, I still suspect that there will be some deals to be had when things get moving again. So, if you're thinking of taking the love of your life for a bargain luxury trip across the pond, maybe combined with springtime in Paris, this might be the way to go. And Matt, please try and give the 757 a break. Not all of them would attempt to kill you. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. I heard that, Chris. <laughs> yes, all right, yes. Mind you, you were saying, uh, Carlos was just saying like uh, uh, off the back of that, that um, mm. there may be not many of them left, so uh, maybe they'll, I won't have to be, worry yeah, about it. I know, they're being phased out. There'll be none left anyway to kill you. Oh, so, um, dear, never mind. You'll have to get on a cargo one too. Instead, uh, genuinely, Chris, thank you so very much. That 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 those two parts have been thoroughly, uh, thoroughly interesting. So uh, thank you for sharing them with us. Really grateful. Uh, I, I just I just want to go on there to experience the comfort of the seats and the food. The food looked amazing, and I, yeah. I must uh, add my congratulations, Chris. Um, I didn't get to see last week's episode, so I'm going to go go and have a look at that little segment. Uh, that's really nicely done. Thank you for doing yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, he's still in the chat room, as I was saying, and he said, uh, as you gather, we loved it. So uh, there we go. And uh, there we are. Praise indeed. Richard Adams says, great review. So there we are. Thanks for the, the details. Uh, do feel free, listeners, to do your own if you feel if you feel you want to. Uh, get in, If you need some help doing so, get in touch uh, with us on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And if you would l 
would like to, we've had one email in, I noticed already, uh, but if you would like to join us uh, on a little Zoom call, that's next Saturday the 20th at 7pm uh, British Summertime or 6pm UTC. Uh, we'll have a little Zoom call. Uh, hopefully we can get a few of our regular visitors. Uh, perhaps uh, if Al's not busy, he might be able to join us. You never know. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can ha have a chance to, to catch up with us all um, like in an informal chat over a beer. That's what we want to do with that. We managed, we managed 50 for the Geeks um the geeks uh, celebratory episode wow okay uh, 50 on the zoom call which was no yeah, we can do better than that right yeah <laughs> okay fair enough yeah yeah provided the technology holds out of course anyway i mean they're, they're you know they're just newbies at this you know they're amateurs <laughs> right yes okay and on that bombshell carlos what's next <laughs> i don't mean it guys i don't mean it it's all right nobody listens right, so to we're this. Gonna, it's fine we're gonna <laughs> hand things over to uh our resident military expert to bring Al's favourite part of the show. Are you eating? So, yes, I am. <laughs> so what, over to what, you. What has this show oh, become? What, what, is, what is going on here? I mean, it or, used to be there's just the low lives like me that would order, you know, room service in the middle of the show. Now that the, the main proponents of the yeah. show are, are eating in the middle of it. Goodness gracious. To, to be man. fair, our producer was threatening to order a McDonald's to arrive while we were on air. Ooh. So, you know. <laughs> well, he was eating a pizza, so. Oh, okay. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so dis despite Al's best uh, efforts, efforts yes. we still have some time for military. So, Matt, if you're ready, Let's... hit the button. Whoa. Do I tell him I left the fader up or not? Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Don't, no. <laughs> it's a... Guys, this, uh, this first story is from military.com. And I don't know why I got it, but a civilian aircraft collided with, the, with a sitting MV-22 Osprey last month in San Diego, resulting in a, at least a million dollars worth of damage to the tilt rotor aircraft. I think it was probably a little bit more than that. Uh, the Class A mishap was defined as one that involves fatalities, damage totaling $2 million or more, or a complete loss of the aircraft. It happened on May 30th at Brownfield, a Marine Corps official told Military.com. The incident was also highlighted in a recently released Naval Safety Center accident report. According to the official the pilot of the civilian plane lost control of the aircraft, traveling across the runway and eventually impacting the Osprey. An official with Brownfield did not immediately respond with information about what the make of the civilian plane was. We do know afterwards that it was a skydiving uh, Twin Otter, de Havilland Twin Otter. Uh, the aircraft routinely operate from Brown Airfield for training said the uh, smoke spokesman for the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing. Uh, an investigation is obviously pending. The Marine Corps later confirmed that the V-22 was assigned to Marine Medium Tilt Rotor Squadron 163 out of Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. The official or an official from the city of San Diego said an investigation was ongoing, but there were no injuries and no airport buildings were damaged. Um, oh, that's okay then. No, no, no damage to the airport. Move on. Yep. Yeah, I know. That's that was that was the end of their 
Like, yeah. Okay, our, My our work hands here are clean. Is done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, pop, I pop Matt, the picture. I don't know. That's quite. I mean, it's there's there's some significant damage to that prop. I think that's probably the best way to describe the damage. Oh yeah. There. So obviously, if, yeah. <laughs> obviously, from the position of the rotors on the Osprey, it was not running because you can't run them in the horizontal position, at least not on the ground. No. Well, you can once. Um, but, uh, <laughs> they, so, so it looks like the Osprey was parked. There probably wasn't anyone in it in mm. its storage configuration like that. Um, but, yeah, that's interesting that this Twin Otter made it all the way across the airfield to the military side and just managed to um, dice up the Osprey rotor with its own tiny little propeller um and, and, and what yeah. you got, what you guys didn't hear was from our producer john saying are you sure al wasn't the one in charge of the uh of, of the little the little ga of the otter yeah of the otter <laughs> yes yeah, <so>, rude yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah with no injuries uh al is always trying to take out the military no matter how he does at, it. at all costs <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay carlos you've got the next story yeah the uh next story this this is awesome this is on the voicebot.ai and uh, i think probably oh, most voice voice bot dot ai al um okay. i think most of us have got uh, alexas in our homes or whatever that other thing that google do other and, crap voice um yeah yeah operating things are, are available exactly yeah but how about well, as soon having... as you've mentioned it alexa can you order a pizza please <laughs> and that's about she's not listening to you 42 different pizzas yeah. just got ordered. <laughs> absolutely great we're in trouble so uh, <laughs> the uh <laughs> god i'm glad i got these earphones in because alexa will be going crazy um <laughs> Anyway, um, actually, on that note, I'm just going to say something here because this has really freaked me and Gemma out. One morning this week, um, I forget which morning it was, our Alexa downstairs in the front room, and this was at half past five in the morning, started playing Michael Bublé songs. Totally oh, uncommanded. I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, you know, I, I, really? Yeah, I, yeah, because it has nothing to do with military. I should, I should <laughs> I'm, stress, I'm just but, saying, uh, just saying. Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Michael Bublé. Anyway, military. moving swiftly on. Uh, right. Okay. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean the, if you had uh, Michael Bublé at, 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 at you know a concert for the for the for the army boys, I don't know how well he'd go down, but uh, you know, who knows? Each their own. It, it freaked me out. Family really. show, family show. <laughs> The uh, anyway, the story, the story. Getting back to the story, back to aviation. The, uh, the Russian MiG thirty-five fighter jets down. voice assistant. Uh, voice assistant will advise pilots in the air. So the next generation of MiG thirty-five fighter jets, are used by the Russian military, will use a voice assistant named Rita to help out in complex situations. According to a report, the Russian news service Sputnik, the new features will expand uh, Rita's role to include providing suggestions uh, when it matters in, uh, in the airborne fraught like more higher stakes versions of Alexa or Google Assistant. Ah, that's the one, Google Assistant. So everything's in the new fighter is aimed at helping the pilot in critical situations. It could even suggest what should be done. Uh, MiG Aircraft Corporation test pilot Dmitry Silinov 
explained uh, that apart from that an expert system has been developed which will direct the pilot in different situations the mig-35 is uh, already an advanced jet built by russia as both an anti-air and uh, ground weapon the mig-35 is designed to be both stealthy and deadly capable of spotting targets even when the weather is contrary the jet includes uh, radar invisibility hmm. Star Trek, uh, fly-by-wire control system and a targeting system built into the helmet. On top of that, the MiG-35 comes with its own native Rita voice assistant, a standard on the MiG for some time. Uh, he said we call her Rita, the voice communicant. Her voice remains pleasant, calm, even if fire hits the engine, uh, Solonov says. She does not. And she's talk. a lovely meter maid. She's lovely. She doesn't talk all the time. She just makes recommendations. If the aircraft approaches restrictions, hints are also provided during combat usage. So Russia's not unique at uh, bringing voice and AI technology to bear on military activities. The U.S. is using voice tech in a variety of ways now. Uh, natural language processing helps soldiers communicate in battle, while AI powered automatic translation software makes an international missions easier for soldiers who aren't multilingual isn't that a universal translator of star trek no? yeah <laughs> wow, and they're also okay. coming up with the klingon cloaking device yeah <laughs> well like, the military is of course not the is same that the one that chewbacca of... uses <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the, exactly the klingons uh, when they fought the millennium falcon so it says, well, well, wow, blimey, that brings a whole new vision <laughs> oh, in my, my head now. While the military is, of course, not the same as the civilian sector, Russia's semi-isolated voice assistant ecosystem includes plenty of notable applications as well. Alice, the voice assistant developed by Russian search engine giant Yandex, for instance, is now a visual artist on the subject and paint on command. Uh, even abstract concept. My, meanwhile, the voice assistant recently installed at Moscow's airport to answer customer queries is booming with most all a third of incoming calls to customers handled by the AI. So an AI call Rita in a fighter jet. I mean, can you I imagine? I, I feel like my my Google and Siri like they have trouble understanding me when the ceiling fan is on. Can you imagine instead of a of a Mig thirty five? How, it's just we'll see and then and what if she gets it wrong there's yes. no like real calculating i'm sorry i yeah. didn't understand that i like yeah. rita start the engine what did you say eject the engine yeah, yeah. well in rita, fact, uh, i'm going for launch lunch did you say launch rack on in in the chat room here has just said hopefully rita doesn't get any ejection privileges i think that's that's a good point isn't it it's uh, otherwise you know yeah. suddenly everybody's going to be ejected yeah, i said reject i said reject yes. reject not eject <laughs> This is, I mean, there's a catalogue of errors potential, potentially here, isn't there? It's, um... <laughs> I'm going for a dump. Did you say fuel dump? Why would you, why would you, hang on. Actually, I'm not even going to, uh, no, uh, move on. Uh, okay, I'm going to take the next story. It's my turn now. Uh, I'm going to change camera and everything. Uh, this is on the bbc.co.uk, and the headline is Combat Drone to Compete Against Piloted Plane. So the US Air Force will pit an advanced autonomous aircraft against a piloted plane in a challenge set for July 2021. The project could eventually lead to unpiloted fighter aircraft 
aircraft that use artificial intelligence. Uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant General Jack uh, Shanahan, who's the head of the Pentagon's Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, called the test a bold, bold idea. So Air Force magazine also described the development of autonomous fighter jets as a big moonshot for the military. Uh, as uh, At a briefing organized by the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies, Lieutenant General Shanahan said he had exchanged emails last weekend with the team leader of the project, Dr. Steve Rogers of the... Steve Rogers? What, the Steve Rogers? What, Captain America? Uh, sorry, uh, of, of the Air Force Research Laboratory, AFRL. He said the AFRL team would attempt to field an autonomous system to go up against a human manned system in some sort of air-to-air. Sounds quite exciting, doesn't it? Uh, Shanahan uh, said that at this stage it may not use a lot of AI, but in time humans and machines working together could make a big difference. Uh, when announced in 2018, the project envisaged the uh, development of an unpiloted fighter jet. Asked by Air Force magazine whether this was still the objective, Lieutenant General Shanahan said uh, he did not know, but added that AI-enabled systems could be used in other ways. Maybe it shouldn't. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be thinking about a 65-foot wingspan. Maybe it's a small autonomous swarming capability. He explained such swarms of uh, drone aircraft could be deployed under a pilot's control or operate autonomously. A US military project called Skyborg uh, will explore how the pilot of a fighter jet could control other drone aircraft, which would act as airborne sidekicks. Uh, these projects feed uh, into an ongoing effort to explore ways of using artificial intelligence to enhance the American military's capabilities. But Shanahan said legacy systems would not go away overnight and that it was a question of finding a balance and using AI where it could make things more efficient. The last thing I would claim is that carriers and fighters and satellites are going away in the next couple of years. Uh, earlier this year, Elon Musk, oh dear, also entered the discussion telling the audience at a military conference in Orlando, Florida, that the fighter jet era had passed. Uh, Mr. Musk said the F-35 fighters jet competition should be a drone remotely controlled by a human with maneuvers augmented by autonomy. The F-35 would have no chance against it, he tweeted. Uh, Lieutenant uh, General Shanahan said that the military would be absorbing the best options uh, from uh, from work on autonomous cars in the commercial sector. But he warned that amongst manufacturers, 10 companies spending between 13 and $17 billion on research over the last decade had still not developed a Level 4 autonomous vehicle. Level 4 vehicles are those that no longer require a human driver's attention for safety. I mean, it's an interesting article, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those where you just sort of wonder if, uh, uh, you know... It's. I, I suppose you know we we are going to reach a time, Armando. I'm sure where essentially uh, you don't need actual humans in the the cockpit, and it can all be done. You know with you know using satellite links back at base. Yeah, I I don't know why they didn't they didn't just go all in and call it Skynet instead of Skyborn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it's, it's probably because there's a copyright issue for the Terminator films. That's probably what it is. Yeah. That's true, and that and Paramount Pictures probably has a lot more money than the U.S. government. So. I suspect so, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, this is uh, going to be interesting if they do carry it out. I mean, this is something that 
sci-fi movies have been talking about for a long time as you know the uh, unmanned fighter jet versus a manned fighter jet it's uh it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting i i do i know tony is saying in the chat room that you'll always need a fighter or a pilot in a fighter plane um that the electronics could easily get blocked but i i think there's been enough publicity from the government and darpa about the swarm uh concept that i think that's probably what we're gonna see first is uh one or two manned aircraft controlling a small uh, amount of unmanned wingmen for their own defense and um or offense i think that's probably where it's going to go first Uh, uh, Paul Paul Tricker is saying unpiloted military jets, uh, scary stuff. Before you know it, we'll all be hiding underground until someone takes down Skynet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds about and, right. <laughs> and Arnold's going to be pretty old by then, so we're going to have to rely on Will Smith to right to the, sort of take the, the virus into the. Good, good point. Good point. Well made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Al. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> oh well, there we go. Um, so what can I say? I, I've got the story from. Uh, Air Force Times. Now, I need to ask, is this uh, an official U.S. Uh, Air Force website? Oh, gosh, what's no, he found? No, they're actually not. <laughs> they're actually not. It's a private publisher that uh, that uh, pretty much hangs around uh, the Department of Defense, but they're not, a, they're not official. Okay, the, the reason I ask is because it's got more pop-ups and adverts than an adult <laughs> entertainment website. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, Other dodgy uh, websites so, are available. Yeah. How, I've, do you, I've, I've, how do you think they're going to fund Skynet? I mean, Skynet. Well, absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting, but uh, some of the adverts are, are strange, to say the least. I mean, one of them is for a, a Iron Dome-type system made by Raphael. Okay, I'm not really in the market for one. Rural Cheshire doesn't quite need that yet. Um, and then at the top of the page, there's a, an equally bizarre advert. It's for Banggood with free shipping. So the, the adverts are from the ridiculous to the extreme in some ways. But anyway, I, I, I'll digress no further. This comes from the Air Force Times, who apparently need my help. Uh, four injured, uh, C-130... H model, H for hotel, overruns a runway in uh, at an Iraq base. So, do, 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 do. right, okay. It, it's a nightmare of a website to navigate this because there's pop-ups and adverts all over the place. But four service members were injured Monday when a C-130H Hercules, sorry, that's really bad for me, a C-130H Hercules overran the runway while landing at uh, Camp Dad Taji in Iraq, and crashed into a wall, sparking a fire. The service members' injuries were not life-threatening, and they're being treated at the base's medical facility, according to a release by Combined Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve. There were seven crew members and 26 passengers aboard the flight, an Iraqi official said. Among the injured were two pilots, the official spoke on condition of anonymity in line with regulations. Fair enough. The task force, which is in charge of anti-Islamic state operations in the Middle East, said enemy action is not suspected and that the incident is under investigation. 
The C-130 is now deployed to the 386th Air Expeditionary Wing at Ali al-Salam Air Base in Kuwait, the release said. The crash at the base, which is north of Baghdad, happened at 10.10 p.m. Iraq time. The plane crashed into a wall, resulting in sustained structural damage to the aircraft, and a small fire broke out. Clearly, it's not managed by the same people of San Diego Airport because there's no information about the wall or whether the wall is now okay or not. <laughs> and the um, age of the wall. And the age of the wall. The airfield crash and fire rescue team responded within four minutes. The quick actions of the airfield crash and fire rescue team helped patients and limited damage to the equipment infrastructure, the release said. Separately yeah, now, erupt. Uh, I'll jump in there. The, the rest of it's sort of um, irrelevant. It's another, another incident. But uh, Okay, yep. I looked at the Camp Taji runway and it's a 5,000 foot runway. So uh, to give you a little bit of perspective, these guys were coming in at night on a tactical approach, uh, most likely on night vision goggles uh, with passengers. They probably weren't fully loaded because they, they would have burned off some fuel uh, unless they were coming from Kuwait. In that case, they could have been pretty heavy into a 5,000 foot runway, which to be fair is not very long. It's plenty of runway for a C-130, but um, you have to be right on airspeed, on target. And I, I would never, unless you've done it, unless you've done night NVG landings in an austere environment, um, it's pretty hard to criticize you know, pilots when, when some of these mishaps happen because uh, they're, they're amazingly skilled. This was an Air National Guard crew uh, that was deployed over there. And uh, yeah, you know, it's easy to get disoriented too. I, I flew quite a bit in Iraq and sometimes you get a little bit of haze. You've got um, some navigational aids, a, an internal navigation system that helps you uh, do a sort of in it, an ILS. It's not really, it's somewhere between a GPS, INS, ILS, SBAS approach. <laughs> Al, you could... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna link them all to oh and a par okay approach yeah all together so and, whoever uh, was in the office ticked all of the boxes and said yeah that's the best we can have we'll have everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you can log all of them at once <laughs> um but uh yeah so the the aircraft overran the runway and uh to be fair you know five thousand foot is not a lot of runway and to you have to put it down per, pretty perfectly um you know, at the risk of uh, of having a uh, a mishap like this. So, okay, one story I left think to go. A, a f f yeah, I think that's uh, you know uh, kind of part and parcel for operations in these parts of the world. I would imagine it's you know, whilst by many it would be perceived to be a, a, a peaceful period of time in that part of the world, um, without going overly political again, the war continues, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Sure does. Sure does. This is just like our first responders. You know, the military uh, from many, many countries continues to to operate in deployed environments, uh, despite viruses, politics, and funding. Uh, so this last story is from C4ISRnet.com, and it Easy has to do. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what we like to do. Just acronyms within acronyms. Uh, 
um, which stands for Command, Control, Communications, Computers, Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance net.com there you go uh <laughs> just rolls off right. the tongue doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> moving my on. head has just now officially exploded <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i i am glad you're actually smiling in the military that's my whole purpose in life <laughs> happy days <laughs> yeah yeah although so to be very happy Air... i could say he has just had a comment in the chat room basically accusing him of not being a trevor mcdonald uh which i think is a bit harsh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So leaders from Air Force Special Operations Command wanted an airborne mounted laser weapon by the end of 2019. So right in line with government acquisitions, they expect a demonstration in fiscal year 2022. Uh, the 60 kilowatt high energy laser will be mounted onto an AC-130J Ghost Rider. That is the newest gunship, C-130 gunship, a massively armed workhorse for the Air Force. The laser weapon will be a cherry on top to the gunship. Mm, it's probably going to be in the front, probably not on top, um, <laughs> which already boasts a 30 millimeter side firing chain gun, 105 millimeter cannon, AGM-176 Griffin laser guided missiles, wing mounted GBU-39 GPS guided bombs, and small diameter bombs. So yes, they have evolved quite a bit since the A model gunships of Vietnam. Uh, Unlike those kinetic weapons, though, the offensive high-energy laser would be able to disable enemy systems stealthily. As envisioned, a Ghost Rider could take out several aircraft, uh, defensive weapons, and sensors with its silent, unseen laser weapons before the enemy even know they were under attack. There's no explosion, no sounds, flashes, or lights to alarm the targets. Enemy combatants would only realize what happened once they attempted to use a system that had already been disabled. At the virtual Special Operations Forces Industry Conference on May 13th, Colonel Melissa Johnson, the Program Executive Officer for Fixed Wing at U.S. Special Operations Command, acknowledged the Department of Defense's laser development efforts have not been steady over the years. However, in 2015, General Bradley Heitold, uh, former head of Air Force Special Operations Command said he wanted that laser on the AC-130J by the close of this decade. Almost got there, 2022. Um, others have expressed skepticism about the near-term prospects for the airborne lasers. Uh, DARPA, uh, DARPA Stephen Walker said in 2018 he expected that airborne assets to be the last to adopt laser weapons due to the inherent size, weight, and power constraints at play. Uh, the article goes on a little bit. It's expensive, but if it works, it's going to be uh, pretty cool. And Tony S., no, there is not anything out there that AC-130 can't do. <laughs> am, am I the only it one? It can't who... defeat a mirror, though, can it? <laughs> you fire your laser at the mirror, that's it. Boom, you're gone. Well, but it's got a 30-millimeter cat cannon that you can see the mirror too, first. too late once mirror. you've bl once you've blown yourself up <laughs> am i the only one while armando was reading that story you had mike myers like you know the doctor Sharks evil in his head going, laser just me okay fair enough <laughs> so, so so armando all jokes aside without going into too much top secret information could a thing blow itself up by just firing a laser at a mirror it, it would be really, really hard to do because that mirror would have to be perfectly 
Have you seen how many mirrors there are at Ikea? <laughs> well, to be fair, we're not taking out very many Ikeas now, are we? <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. so it's all quite peaceful with the, with, you know, with the, with the, the Swiss at the moment. It's all good, yeah. <laughs> The Americans the and the Swiss even. are getting on. The Swedes, yeah. Swedes, yeah. Sorry, Swedes. And I mean, you say you're not taking out too many IKEAs at the moment, which is quite clearly a good thing because they've only just reopened here in the UK, and there's there's a heck of a lot of people still queuing. <laughs> but 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 the other thing, by the time you've put the by the time you've put Rita into it, who will be redundant because. <laughs> Ultimately, there won't be a person in there to speak to Rita. <laughs> so by the thing, by the time the thing's all gone completely wrong, and and it's engaged with the you know the local IKEA, and then blows itself out <laughs> yeah. of the sky, well there goes your billions, doesn't hey, it? But, but we just talked about it because it'll be unmanned, so nobody gets hurt, right. and you'll just be right. you'll have the pleasure <laughs> of saying, Rita, fire the laser, Rita. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need these lasers. What? What you need is you need to strap a lawn chair on top of the wing with a man with a pea shooter, okay? It's, it's foolproof. It cannot go wrong. Uh, and that wraps up the military segment. <laughs> yeah, just nicely. On that bombshell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony is suggesting that perhaps uh, uh, Captain Nan has been watching too many cartoons. Uh, there might be some truth <laughs> yeah. in that. Oh, yeah, we, we could also just drop anvils out the back of the c-130 onto <laughs> the rabbits right <laughs> what could what could possibly go wrong there oh That's dear. lunacy have you been drinking <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. oh dear, okay. We've still got one more piece uh, of the show to look forward to, and this is the last part um, of your chat with uh, the lovely Bob, uh, Armando. Yeah, this uh, Bob is going to tell us a little bit about the Reno Air Races, because you know I never pass up an opportunity to uh, <laughs> give a plug for that, but we also talk about um, spouse support, which has been really important in Bob's life, so. So I'll, I'll move on. So we did segments with George uh, Catalano, Race 5-6 in the sport class, and one of your good friends and uh, also loyal subjects, James Stringer, flying your airplane <laughs> at Reno. So those guys were gracious enough uh, last year to, to do some pretty good interviews. And George has been with us a couple of times on the podcast. But uh, you are actually the president of the sport class. And I wanted to ask, what one? How did you get there? And two, what is that? What exactly does that mean? And 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 if you'll allow me afterwards, I'll I'll throw my take on it too. Oh, you bet. Um, so the sport class was formed in 1998 by Rick Vandem and Lee Beal, and um, there were a few others involved back then. And Dave Morris, as you know, has been involved since the beginning, and and there were uh, some other characters that you know basically they were they were flying they were working as air bosses at reno and said those guys are having all kinds of fun and we have access to these other airplanes that they'd be great racers let's start a race class so so they did that and they built um sport class into really an incredible organization um i was fortunate enough to kind of be a lieutenant of both lee and rick and i was the class secretary in um, in the year that uh, Lee was killed in a mishap out here racing. And um, actually he was preparing to race. We were getting ready. It was the warm-ups before we qualified that year. And um, he had a, there was a mechanical failure on the airplane that resulted in a, in a pretty horrific crash that took his life. Um, it was 
you know, it was a big setback initially for the class in the races, but you know, we came through and uh, rebuilt and Rick is really good friends with Lee's family. So he and Vicky Benzing, who's another one of our, you know, premier racers, um, they took care of the, of his sons, of Lee's sons that week. And, and it, the class turned to me and I took care of the class for the rest of the week. Um, as it turns out, Rick was the jet class president at the same time. And at the end of the race week, uh, it, it was kind of like the movie Santa Claus, the, the Santa Claus, where they said, you wear the suit, you are the man. Um, but at, at the end of the week, I'd taken care of the class. We'd seen our way through the races. Um, it was, it was a, a difficult, challenging, but, you know, kind of bonding time for the entire class. And, uh, and at the end, they said, we need a president. You've done a good job. We'd like you to keep going. So, so I, I've been the class president ever since. Um, one of the things we've tried to do, um, you know, the class grew from 1998 to where it is now, um, you know, racing, you know, three heats of, of eight and sometimes two heats of eight aircraft in the early days going to speeds of, you know, maxing out about 300 miles an hour then to now we have 85 qualified racers. We race four heats of eight aircraft and uh, bring 36 airplanes to the races every year. Um, the, the, the class became, you know, to, to, to manage it as just one or two people became probably beyond of what should be done and what would be effective. So, so um, Rick and Tom McNerney and myself and, and others in the class have really built an organizational structure that whose goal really is to bring new racers in, train them, and develop the sport class leaders of the future so that, that as, uh, as we do our tours of duty here, we might at some point be able to move on to being just having great times as racers while some of the young bloods come in and, and, uh, and run the show a bit. So, but that, you know, that process takes time and, um, it, you know, but it, it, it kind of harkens back to the Navy too. You know, you, you, you bring in the junior officers and you teach them how to lead how to run the business and and how to run the mission and and our guys have been phenomenal i mean you, you've met so many great people um i've been um just super pleased at the fact that these that the the racers are not only enthusiastic racers they're enthusiastic about making sport class a huge success and making the races a huge success um it's you know reno Aries association creates this playground this sandbox as we call it that we get to come and do absolutely probably the coolest flying you could ever probably do ever right i mean flying fighters was awesome this is as close as it gets you know i mean maybe we're not turning and burning and dogfighting and you know coming back to the whiteboard and saying who won the dogfight but uh but we're out on the race course and we're coming back to the whiteboard and talking about who won the race you know um it's a, the intensity in air racing is high. It's, um, it's very fighter-like or very military-like in, in that the, the stakes are very high. The trust in your wingman, if you will, the trust in your other racers has to be absolute. And when we see lapses in either performance or in, um, you know, the mental focus, if you will, 
or in adherence to rules and regulations and, and our procedures and policies, then, you know, we're a very self-policing organization too. We make sure that everyone's doing it right because our lives are at stake. I mean, we're putting our lives in all seven of the other racers' hands that are out on the course with us every single time we fly. I know for me being at the time a military aviator and, and an, a fairly low time uh, civilian pilot, I showed up there and I immediately saw an organization that was very reminiscent of the military. And now five years later that I've, that I've met almost everybody in the class, including their moms, their dogs, their kids, it's a true reflection of, of your leadership. And, and I'm not just saying that because we have you on the show, but, but you and the class officers run an exceptional organization and Last year, I was there for PRS for the Pylon Racing Seminar, and I saw the amount of training and the importance that, that you guys place on that training for rookie pilots and, and rookie pilots really being, you know, your first couple of years because there's, uh, as George was saying, every year, every heat, every flight, every time you go gear up, you're, you learn something. Um, and it was just amazing to me to see that all happening. And while they racers are out there on the course competing and everybody's trying to eke out an extra three knots every year. As soon as everybody lands, it is, it is truly the September family. They all share by and large, uh, share technology, share lessons learned. Um, you know, last year we, we talked about on this, on the, this show, we talked about Sean's uh, mayday, Sean Van Hatton's mayday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and we've actually had Jody Ruger on the show too. Um, talking about her career and her air shows, but uh, but the way that the that the the sport class family comes together to support any one racer that either has had a mishap or a a, a lesson learned is is amazing to me, and it's something like I said, I usually just sit in the back of the room and and I'm just sitting there in awe at, at how you guys run things. So uh, well well done. Thanks. You know? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because you touched on September family and, and that it's, it's, we refer to ourselves in sport class as that, but, you know, the entire Reno Area Association organization and every class, including all the volunteers, all the people that make the races happen, you know, the crash fire rescue queue, everybody that is here, that, that whole group that, you know, now you've been on the air side of it all and you've seen how many different cogs are, are out there working and how many different you know the pylon judges the the ramp guys jim cassidy that you've gotten to know and and other other folks out there that just um it it's it's funny that now our discussions kind of circle it reminds me of the aircraft carrier there's so many people that have to do their specific job to make this this epic event happen right and it truly is epic i and i hope that we're we're able to race this year and if we're not that we'll be back in with gusto next year um and that decision hasn't been made yet um rara is still working all the all the different info channels they can to try to figure out what's the right thing to do for this year um it's a financial aspect there's a an environmental aspect due to covid and all that you know but it's um it's it's a one of a kind thing. I mean, you know it. Everybody that's been here knows it. It's it would be it would be a horrible loss 
it would be a tragedy yeah. to see this thing not continue for another 55 years. Um, and so we're doing our part to, to help make that happen. I mean, the class has stepped forward. All the classes, you know, have um, decreased their purse by a certain amount this year to just give back to RARA just a little bit to try to help them make it happen. And on, on a personal level, we're all preparing to race whether we do this year or we don't. Um, and, um, and if we don't race, maybe we'll have PRS and be able to put that out on live streaming and, uh, and let people see that the races are going to continue. They're still going to be here because it's a treasure. I mean, it, it is a local, a state and a national treasure, not to sound too cliche, but it is. You, nowhere else do you see this. Nowhere else can you come see a, a, a bear cat and a, and a Mustang and, and a tiger cat and other things that, that we've seen racing here. You don't hear anything like that. You don't see anything like that. There, there, are, there's, there are air shows and parades in Oshkosh that has that section, but the, the, the phenomenal spectacle of airplanes racing at 50 feet around pylons a couple thousand feet from the stands is amazing. It's, it's so cool to be a part of it. So, let, so let's go from 400 miles per hour at 100 feet to 90 miles per hour at 100 feet in an open <laughs> cockpit biplane. So how did we end up with that Stearman in your hangar? Okay, so it's, it's actually a 43-year-old story. Um, the, the gentleman that gave me my very first airplane ride which was in a Bonanza with the throwover yoke and all that is my first ride in an airplane. This is, uh, this is awesome. He knew I was interested. And, um, and his son and I were, had, we shortly thereafter went and got um, jobs at the San Carlos airport Chevron station. So we were filling airplanes with gas. That was my first aviation job. But uh, that gentleman and his partner, a crop duster were building a steerman in their garage or rebuilding. And, I, I remember going into the garage the first time and seeing the wings up in the rafters. They had just been completed. They weren't covered yet, but the structure, you know, the, the wood um, truss construction that is in those wings right there is a thing of beauty. And I looked at it and saw that and I went, oh my God. And they, they introduced me to my first flight instructor. They took me for my first ride in a steerman. And then after they built their steerman, I got a chance to ride it in that. And it was gorgeous. You know, so it's like, I, someday I need to have a steerman. Someday I want to have a steerman. Well, you know, flash forward 40 years. And um, turns out that my wife, Tina, is very enamored with the TV show Jag. The star of the show owned a steerman in yellow and red navy colors. And... One of the things that, as you know, so she was very supportive um, 13, 14 years ago when, I, when a friend of mine offered to sell me the Super 6. She was super supportive of that. And, um, and then in 2016, when I had the opportunity to buy Gary Mead's Glass Air, uh, the Super Glass Air 3, she, she, was, she was very competitive there. She said, well, how fast is it? <laughs> I said, it's pretty fast. She said, you in the gold? I said, Probably so, she said, <laughs> and you got to buy it, <laughs> you know, so, so she's super enthusiastic, super supportive, but after she said yes, she looked at me and said, but you know, you can never buy another airplane unless it's a steerman. So with my pilot ears, what I heard was I looked at her and I said, did you just say I could buy a steerman? 
<laughs> and yeah. she said, yes. So um, the funny thing is, is I, 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 I sold the glass here this year um, to Team Havoc. So it'll be racing as race three this year instead of race 47. Um, but um, it opened the door to find a steerman. And, and I told my, my partner in Lightning Formation Air Shows, uh, Tim Redden, um, this story about Tina saying you could never buy another airplane unless it's a steerman. About a week later, he sends me an ad for this airplane. <laughs> he, he found it and he said, you know, this one looks pretty good and the price is right. And it's got red line brakes and it's got a smoke system, you know? So I said, okay, smoke system. But um, so I showed Tina the picture of it and she, she said, we gotta. <laughs> so this is how cool my wife is, right? So I've had friends that have, they, they've looked at me and said, what did you do this weekend? You know, whether it was to go fly um, an air show somewhere, you know, across the country, or we did a memorial for a, um, a great gentleman over the Air Force Academy, or we, you know, the Watsonville Hearts, or the, you know, the so many fun things that we've done, go to Oshkosh. All my the friends looked at me and said, dude, you have the longest leash of any guy I know. <laughs> I said, what, but what I have is a wonderful, wonderful wife. And, uh, and that's, that's true that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so thank you. Tina. It, you know, and, and before we, we started recording, that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about as we, as we do come up on Memorial day is, you know, both of us had, full military careers and I wouldn't be where I am without my spouse. And it sounds like Tina has just been a, an incredible supportive spouse and, and an instigator um, in your, <laughs> in your aviation career. Yeah. Well, listen, we, we always wrap up each interview with one question and that is now you've flown a lot of airplanes, but if money was no object and you could fly any airplane in the world, past or present, what aircraft would that be? Uh, it's actually an easy answer. I'd get me in an F4U Corsair right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple of them that show up every year to Reno. Yeah, no. If if for some reason the and the you know the the heavens opened and uh, and either brought a Corsair or uh, enough money to buy one, I would also definitely join Sherm Smoot in the unlimited class if he let me come in. <laughs> and, uh, and put that on the pylons too so wouldn't wouldn't that be fun <laughs> there's a whole list of airplanes that you know if, if you had a chance to fly i mean goes goes back to um you know a sop with camel a uh um, a constellation um a corsair a 727 to be honest with you would be a really fun thing a um, um a, an f4 phantom you know it's even a C-130, it'd be fun to fly four fans of freedom and just see, you know. So. All right, Bob, uh, we won't take up any more of your time. I want to thank you and, and from all the guys at PTK, thanks for being with us for, for a little bit. And uh, I, I wish you the best this year, and I'll be out there in Reno um, right there, you know, side by side with you. All right. We'll, be, we'll build the schedule together, all right? Sounds good. Thanks, Bob. All right. Thanks for all you're doing to keep uh, aviation alive out there. You too, sir. Awesome job, Armando. Well done. Big round of applause. Pretty, pretty cool, huh? Yeah. It's, yes. Bob is a, a great guy to talk to, and he's well-spoken, and you can just tell he loves aviation and every aspect of aviation. Um, yeah, I just 
I loved hearing everything. You know, I, I wish we could uh, play out the whole two hour conversation going all the way from ejecting out of a Tomcat at night uh, to flying for Southwest to uh, flying a steerman across the country. I think that, uh, you know, there, there's so many people like Bob out there too, just legends, uh, both young and old that, uh, boy, we just wish we could talk to all of them, huh? Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, uh, worth probably mentioning as well, Tony was saying in the chat room there, fingers crossed that Reno goes ahead. I, th I think you were saying there's a decision expected very soon about that, actually. Yeah, just like any other public event, they're, they're in the decision process right now. They're trying to figure out one, you know, state laws, federal laws, um, reopening guidelines, uh, insurance. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's so expensive to put on an event like that from both the, the participants as well as the vendors and the insurance. Uh, so it's, there's just so many planning factors. We were talking about it off air. It's a lot like EAA, Oshkosh, and Sun and Fun. Those events have been canceled for the year, but and 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 we'll see we'll see what happens with some of the other public events the non-aviation related ones in Reno leading up to September but there there will most likely be some permutation of Reno air races it may just be a pylon racing seminar that is televised or something right. like that yeah. I, don't, I don't know we'll we'll see we'll probably know in the next couple of weeks uh, what's going to happen there. So. Well, fingers crossed that, um, yeah, as I say, uh, fingers crossed it could be one of the, well, let's all hope and pray it might be one of the few things that actually go ahead this year, which would which would be fantastic. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think the, the participants are important and the spectators are important, but uh, but the volunteers are are the most important part of this. And, and like all those other events, it can't happen without the volunteers and, and many, many, many of those volunteers are of the retired age um so they're they're a little bit older and the organization would never put them at risk no. by holding such a large public event you know it's yeah. it's very important that those folks stick around and and are are healthy and yeah. and are able to join us for future years absolutely well f fingers crossed um fingers crossed anyway carlos it's uh, time to wrap up we're running out of time yes we are going to wrap up uh, episode 322 don't forget the social medias look for us on a uh, social medias plain talking uk whatsapp number send us in your voice feedback or video feedback or pictures to put on the screen behind matt in the studio plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six you can email the show podcast at plain talking com and also don't forget to check out our website www.plaintalkinguk.com on there you'll find the links to our patreon and paypal and not forgetting as well our t-shirt store where you can get yourself a p2k t-shirt as modeled at the moment by captain al who's with Indeed. us at the moment actually oh, also, you, you mentioned the whatsapp number here i've got a, a lovely picture here that was sent by, to us by john jester um it's sent to the whatsapp number and this was apparently t5 this morning so uh, look at that very, very eerie almost, isn't it? Do your free shop shop. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, why not subscribe as well to our YouTube channel? You'll get notifications when we go live, and you can also help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room each week. So go to www.youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK. Also, don't forget our Amazon link as well uh, on the website where you can shop, and it will get us a nice little referral fee, which we can uh, get used to uh, buy new leads and stuff, which we 
like to do every now and again. So that's it. That's what we are going to bring the show to a close. Uh, a big thanks to everyone who has joined us on the show this week in the YouTube chat room and not forgetting as well, everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast each week. If you're downloading through iTunes, please, 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 we would love it if you could give us a little five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget, before we go, that Zoom call next Saturday. If you want to join us on a Zoom call next Saturday night, 7 p.m. UK time here, Email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com, and Matt or our um, producer, John, will send you a link to join us on that call mm. next week. It's a kind of informal sit-down chat. Have a beer. Grab a beer, yeah, absolutely. Mag. So that's it then, guys and girls. Thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Have a great weekend, whatever you're doing. Take care. Stay safe. And from me here in my office studio from matt in the ptuk studios from armando over in charlotte in his studio and from captain al thanks for joining us over in his studios take care everyone and goodbye say goodbye everyone bye-bye bye bye, bye. bye.